Conservative councillor Nigel Long from Central Bedfordshire Council said they've had no choice but to take action. Councils must follow planning law and planning regulation. This is well outside of, of planning regulation, so we're obliged, as we are in all cases of unlawful development, to act on behalf of all of our residents and issue enforcement notices. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt today. The trust was one of 11 put into special measures after being found to have higher than average mortality rates. Here's our health correspondent, Adam Brimlow. In July, the NHS Medical Director, Professor Sir Bruce Keogh, reported failings at 11 hospital trusts. They were ordered to make improvements and promised extra support. Drawing on the idea of superheads to turn around failing schools, managers from successful hospitals will be given contracts to improve these trusts, with bonus payments if they raise their ratings and lift them out of special measures. The government says rather than paying expensive management consultants to write reports about the problems, these contracts will give NHS leaders the time and incentives to fix them. An injured restaurant has been closed down in Stevenage High Street because of an infestation of German cockroaches. Health inspectors found the bugs in food equipment, takeaway packaging and in open containers of food at the Marjahurah. It will stay closed until officials are satisfied it's no longer a risk to the public. Protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place this lunchtime. The National Association of Probation Officers said it will compromise public protection. Our political reporter Paul Scoynes has more. There'll be protests by NAPO and Unison representatives in Luton, Bedford, Stevenage, St Albans, Watford and Chesham today. In January this year, Justice Secretary Chris Grayling said security firms and voluntary groups would manage probation on a payments-by-results basis. The government will offer £500,000 to voluntary and community sector groups to help them prepare to bid for probation contracts. In sport, in the Champions League, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea side suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat at home to the Swiss side FC Basel, while Arsenal won 2-1 away in Marseille. And the weather, it will mist will clear this morning. There should be some sunny spells, but perhaps the odd isolated shower later. There'll be a top temperature of 16 degrees Celsius. That's 61 degrees Fahrenheit. And don't forget, you can get all your latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash counties. Bear with me, I'm having a, one of Roberto's stale um, Jaffa cakes. Hang on a second. Very dry mouth now. That's why you told me to take the top two, isn't it? Because they will be stale. Wow. I see. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. A man from Bedfordshire has been told he has to demolish his house after planning permission for an extension was rejected. Well, it's his home. Is that fair? Have you been caught out by planning laws? Successful NHS hospitals in England are going to be paid to help improve those that are failing, including those run by the Buckinghamshire NHS Trust. Well, that was one of 11 trusts which were criticised in a recent review which was prompted by high death rates. And Justin Dealey doesn't know what reflexes are. How weird is that? It was the most bizarre conversation about 15 minutes before this show started. We were all having fun testing our reflexes. And Justin went, reflexes? What, is, what was that? Does that mean I'm bendy? <laughs> Does that mean I'm bendy? <laughs> oh, it made me laugh so much. Bless him. He's a bewildered soul, isn't he? He needs guidance and help. 
and not the finger pointing and laughing that we're going to give him later on. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. And you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Reflexes, Lisa, what's that? Does that mean I'm bendy? (laughs) Oh, yes, sir. You are very bendy. Now, a Luton businessman could be forced to tear down his dream home in central Bedfordshire after failing to get the correct approval. Saeed Raza Shah received planning permission in 2011 for an extension to part of his house in barton le Clay, but he carried out further work to make the home even bigger. Well, after submitting retrospective planning permission a few years ago, which has now been... Uh, sorry, a few weeks ago, which has now been refused, he's been served with an enforcement order telling him to demolish the home. Our reporter, Barry Caffrey, visited him. I bought the house in 2008. It was dilapidated. It had a flat roof, an eyesore. The windows, aluminium double glazing, not eco-friendly. The house needed to be renovated. I sought permission in 2011 and was granted permission to extend. A family of six, we've only got seven bedrooms, it was five bedrooms originally. We've utilised the space for our leisure and pleasure. Um, the council have an understanding that it's a new build. I've sent 41 emails to the chief planning officer expressing that it's not a new build all existing walls foundations basement first floor are all existing but built on top with planning permission so you're saying the council are saying this is a new build and you're saying it's not it's not a new build so what did you do to extend the house what what did you do to change it well we sought planning permission as i say and we've extended on the right hand side five meters Okay. We've also, we were also given permission to build on top a pitched roof. And we've utilised the space on the roof and uh, made bedrooms. So at the moment you've got, what, one, two, three, four, five. Are those bedrooms just kind of they on are. the tops? They are bedrooms. Then. And is, is that a problem with the council? or No, they have, if you check their refusal notice, they've refused it on the grounds that it's a new build. It's unsympathetic. I mean, I've already started a petition... I've got 3,000 names in the petition to say that it's magnificent. It's not out of place. The building that was here before was always different. The council themselves, when there was objections on my planning permission to say refuse with certain residents, they objected themselves and they overruled and said that all the houses on this road are different and individual. So I don't see how they are saying it's unsympathetic and, and, and it's too individual now. I haven't just crammed bedrooms in. It looks bigger than it is. It's only seven bedrooms, just enough for my family. Uh, we've got one reception hall. We've got one lounge. We've got a gym. I've got a carport and a garage, a kitchen diner. It, and I don't see what the issue is. Um, why it's been classed as a new bill and why they've taken such drastic actions. It's my family home. It's not fair. It's completely unfair. Uh, my children live here. We've been here for the last five years. Um, 
are being accused of, you know, um, the green belt, blocking the green belt. I haven't blocked anything. The, the, grand, the house was always grand. I've removed some bushes, which I intend to replace in front of the house. Um, you know, I've tried to be as friendly, environmentally friendly as possible. I don't see what the issue is. Well, that was Said Raza Shah speaking to our reporter, Barry Caffrey. We're going to put the pictures of uh, the house, the before and after, up on the Facebook page. We're just having a few technical problems. We've forgotten the password. That's what it is. We can't remember the password to get on there. They'll, they'll be up there shortly. I'll let you know when they are, because I'm keen to get your views on this. Uh, have you fallen foul of planning application laws? They're tough. They are tough. And we got some work done on, uh, on our house. Uh, the planning application, and th- there's the other one as well, the guy that comes round and um, has a look inside. He wouldn't pass it until we'd changed the light bulbs inside. Got to put uh, halogens in there. Oh, flipping it. Can you not sign it off? Can't sign it off until you've done it. We'll do it. I'll do it today. Just sign it off. I'll be back in three weeks. Thanks a lot, man. But have you fallen foul of the planning application laws? Are they a little bit too rigid? Or do you have some sympathy for Mr Shah, who is uh, being told he has to, to pull it down? Well, we'll put the pictures up on Facebook in a few minutes, and after 7 o'clock I'll be speaking to Central Bedfordshire Council to find out exactly why they want this home demolished. But I'm keen to get your stories today, please. 08459 455 555. Here's Orlando Bloom and Montego Bay. Bobby Bloom, sorry. That's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a fun track, isn't it? I can imagine people really enjoying uh, that at, I don't know, a party or something. Yeah, having fun, having a few drinks and um, dancing. Uh, oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Uh, phone up and let me know your uh, problems or otherwise you've had with planning applications. Those rules are very, very rigid. You have to tell them exactly what you're going to do. 
And uh, if it's a significant change to the structure of the house, you, you have to get someone out from the council every few weeks, every couple of months, to have a look at it and make sure that you and your builders are sticking to your plans. Them's the rules. They were going to, to soften the rules, weren't they? Did that happen? Is that going to happen where basically you could kind of build what you wanted without necessarily getting planning application i've exaggerated slightly but you could build longer and further without planning application i think oh eight four five nine four double five five double five it is frustrating when you're dealing with uh the council and uh the metaphorical red tape um and all you want to do is make your house a bit bigger a bit nicer and a bit smarter in your opinion but I guess those rules are there for a reason. It's there to protect the, the, the environment. It's there to protect your neighbours. It's there to protect the look of the street. What dealings have you had when it comes to planning application? 08459 455 555. Do you have any sympathy for Mr Shah, who uh, we heard from earlier and we'll speak to a bit later on, uh, in regards to what's happened to his property? We'll put the pictures up on Facebook soon. You can go and have a look there. Log in and keep hitting the refresh key. Huh? That's a fun way to spend a morning. Do that. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can give me a call 08459 555. Or you can uh, send me a text if you want. 81333. Start your text 3CR. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel news now. Here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Roadworks on the M40. If you're making a journey past Junction 7 at Tame, they've got narrow lanes in both ways and a 50-mile-an-hour speed restriction. It's not causing too much trouble at the minute. Things look quite clear on the cameras and the speed sensor is not picking up any delays. And it's looking pretty decent then as you continue down the M40 past High Wycombe and toward London. In Beaconsfield, expect delays on the A355. It's been slow for the past couple of weeks because of a set of temporary traffic lights that are up for roadworks near Burnham Road. They're doing a couple of sets of works down that stretch of the 355 coming down toward the A40. Looking in St Albans and Hatfield Road, water main work on the A1057. It's at the Ashley Road junction, but good news because they're hoping to have that finished later today. Yay! Oh, it's uh, starting to get quite busy as you go into the roadworks section round Enfield. And on the train's first capital connect, delays of up to 10 minutes, Cambridge to King's Cross because of a signalling problem up at Cambridge. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, 6.15. It's uh, Thursday, the 19th of September. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A house in Bedfordshire could be demolished because the owners did not get correct planning permission. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, today. In sport, Chelsea suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat to Swiss side FC Basel in the Champions League, while Arsenal won 2-1 in Marseille. Coming up, probation officers across beds, hearts and bucks will protest today over fears the service is about to be sold off to private companies by the government. We'll also be finding out... Well, does Justin Dealey have reflexes? BBC Three Counties Radio. If you've missed any of the programmes from the last week, you've missed things like this. Your journey nearly came to a juddering halt where you had all, in effect, a breakdown triggered by a car crash with your then-partner, Jill. But there is a way you can hear it all again. I was drunk, I ran into some roadworks and 
She had a very bad head injury and nearly died. Go to bbc.co.uk slash three counties and click on listen again. You know, you were nearly responsible for killing somebody. It's a really, really traumatic experience, I must say. bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Three Counties Raid. I've just been discussing uh, Led Zeppelin uh, with my producer Tara. She's very upset they're not on Spotify. I kind of went, huh? So? Who's, who's losing out? Not me. Not me. I don't know any Led Zeppelin songs apart from the one that goes... You, are you a big fan of Led Zeppelin, Justin? Uh, Stairway to Heaven, absolute classic, yes. Ne- as you know, I've never heard uh, Stairway to Heaven, and it's my life's ambition is to, is to never hear it as long as I indeed live. Well, you're a Muppet. Well, no, that's, that's really inappropriate. Uh, but, uh, oh, I'm trying to find... Uh, I haven't got the echo. Someone's taken my echo. The only one I know is the one that goes... Are you sure that's Led Zeppelin? 
Is it? Well, who is it then? I don't know. I need the echo to, to so you'd, you'd appreciate. Oh, hang on. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hang on. That sounds like a Sinead O'Connor song. Oh, well, that's rude. Uh, Justin Dealey. Yes. So let's start having a go at me, Sunshine. Mm. We were having fun with our bodies in the office earlier on. Yes. It's the BBC, that's what we do. <laughs> and um, for some reason, we were um, also, several of us, myself, producer Tara, and uh, Kelly Betts, were sat there with our legs crossed and we were playing reflexes. We were yeah. playing with our reflexes, and uh, where one of us hits the other one on the knee and the leg involuntarily spasms and kicks up that proves you are alive mm. i turned to you justin and i said justin in a joking fashion have you got reflexes you went huh have have you got reflexes um have you got reflexes <laughs> what do you mean does that mean i'm bendy <laughs> how could you not know what reflexes are every single person has got reflexes surely i mean surely blinking sneezing these sort of things they are reflexes so i thought it was some sort of joke i thought you wanted me on the floor in that position again <laughs> you googled that didn't you no did you Google that? No. <laughs> you did, because you didn't have a clue what it meant <laughs> 35 re- minutes ago. But a reflex it is surely w- w- where you just move your body and, and, and you bend. Hence the question, am <laughs> I bending? It's not. It's got nothing to do with bending. Bending is not in any way connect. And by the way, dear listener, we are this short of content that I'm arguing reflexes with Justin Dealey. Bending is not in any way connected with reflexes. But when you whacked my leg, yes. uh, my reflexes kind of bent, uh, and my leg went up and down and right. moved around. Right. What I want you to do today, yeah. Justin, there are two things I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to ask people if they've got reflexes. Yep. And then test their reflexes. There are three things I want to do. Okay. I want you to ask people if they've got reflexes. I want you to then test their reflexes, and then I want you to do a thing about TV remote controls a bit later on. We'll get to that later. I mean, uh, are we good to do this, you know, touching people live on the streets? Well, you've, you've signed a health and safety, haven't you? Uh, no. Yes. No. Say yes. 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 There we yes. go, you see. Listen, yes. it, it, it's fine. In the uh, new openness of the BBC, yes, we, we can do it as long as, you know, you know the rules. So, uh, c- can you go and just make sure everyone's got reflexes and test them for me? Yes, I shall do that for you, sir. No problem. Justin Dealey, speak to you later on. Thank you, Ian. Ta-ta. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. He didn't know what ref- He so Googled that. He so Googled that. Does that mean I'm bendy? Probation officers across beds, hearts and bucks will protest today over fears the service is about to be sold off to private companies by the government. The Justice Secretary says he wants 70% of the probation service to be run by companies like G4S and Securicor, as well as voluntary groups. The officers say that could mean the service won't be as good and their jobs could be at risk. Well, Steph Whitehead is on the National Association of Probation Officers Executive Committee and is a rep from the Chiltern Hearts and Beds branch. Steph, what exactly is being proposed? The proposal that's been made by the Secretary of State is that um, while... The high-risk work remains within the public sector. The majority of work is carried out by new companies that haven't yet been created um, to work more cheaply, we think. Um, This is a a cost-saving exercise rather than something that's going to be more effective. And what's the problem with, with that, with trying to save a few quid? The difficulty is that they're an organisation who works very well at the moment. All existing trusts are either rated good or exceptional by the Ministry of Justice for the last year. Um, if we start to change the way we work based on cost saving, we've always worked on the basis of what's effective. If we start to look to cut work in terms of money, then we, we 
cannot but help but be less effective in what we do. It will mean less contact for our clients with um, probation officers. We know that what works is the quality of the relationship between the person being supervised and the probation officer. If people have more cases and, and less time to work with them, we'll be looking at new ways of working. It might mean that we introduce things like um, phone calls rather than face-to-face contact, or even things like um, biometric reporting. So people sign in into buildings with, say, fingerprints, and they might not actually see their officer at all. And what effect do, do you think that would have on your uh, uh, clients, I guess is perhaps an appropriate word? Um, I think what, what we know when we speak to our clients and when we have academic research is, is that the relationships are actually building a trusting working relationship with a professional who is skilled in drawing out um, from the person, eliciting from them what their problems are and enabling them to solve their own problems. If they're not having contact with a person who is skilled in doing that, then they're never going to have the benefit of, of that piece of work. They're never going to fully explore what the difficulties are. And it's difficult to see how things can change for that person but without you, that expertise. You said already that the high-risk uh, uh, category would still be covered by you. Uh, if there's a chance to save a few quid, if a company can come in and say, look, we can, we can do this job, but we can save you X millions of pounds a year, that has to be a good thing, doesn't it, when we're all tightening our belts? I, I can appreciate that. The difficulty I think we have is that they're not going to do the same thing. It's, it's difficult to see how perhaps we can look at a 30% cut in, in, in budget. There's also a proposed increase in caseload. There is a, a group of um, offenders who currently aren't subject to statutory supervision, um, people, adults who receive less than 12 months imprisonment. Now, we've been asked to absorb this group into our supervision as well, which we would certainly embrace because it's a group of people with a very high rate of reoffending. But if we're going to absorb, say, a large group of new clients and a 30% budget cut, it's very difficult to see that that is going to be in any way effective. And there is no point in working if we're not going to be effective in what our aims and objectives are. Are you you really concerned about the the, the people you're working with, or is this just more you're worried that jobs will be lost? I mean, there there will be job losses, and obviously there is a concern for our members, but our members are professionals who are very much committed to what they see as their vocation. They're committed, they believe in what they do. They can see that what we're being asked to do does not fit with what they know is the right thing to do. They're concerned about community safety. What we know is that of the people under our supervision who commit what we would call a serious further offence, so the very most serious offences, 80% of those at the moment come from the low and medium risk group of offenders. And what this split is intending to do is, is shift all the expertise in managing risk into the public sector, which leaves a real vulnerability in the 80% or 70 or 80% of the caseload where a lot of these serious further offences come from are being managed by people who don't have the expertise in the same way as, as the people being shifted across. Steph, what um, form is this protest going to take today? Today we're having lunchtime protests outside offices. Um, we'll be having officers um, out on the street explaining exactly why we're so concerned. And if anybody wants to learn more, Please get yourself down to your local probation office at lunchtime and go and speak to our colleagues and find out from them exactly what their worries are and exactly what they think about it. Steph, thank you very much for your time. Steph Whitehead is on the National Association of Probation Officers.
08459 455 555. I've been informed that the house we were speaking about about 25 minutes ago, that, uh, well, the owner, um, uh, Mr Long, uh, sorry, Mr Shah, has said that he uh, needs to take down because he breached building regulation rules. Well, there are photos of that house on the Facebook page now, so go and have a look at facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR and have your say. Do you think it's right that he's been told to take it down or do you think the council are being a little bit unfair? 6.29, you're listening to Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel news now with Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still some delays for First Capital Connect services this morning, up to 10 minutes worth from Cambridge to King's Cross. It's a signalling problem up at Cambridge. All lines have opened, but trains could still be delayed heading to and from Cambridge this morning for the time being. Roads, well, they're looking decent. No delays that I can see on the speed sensors as you make your way along the M1. It's nice and clear on the cameras for the A1M past Hatfield and Welling Garden City, and no trouble on the M40 either. M25, though, is starting to slow into the roadworks. It's quite busy already under clockwise at Junction 25 Enfield toward 24 at Potter's Bar. No other issues on the trains though, no delays on the tubes if you're making your way toward London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. I do suggest, thank you Adam, I do suggest you go and look at this house on Facebook. I've just seen it for the first time. It's it's quite a difference. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. We'll read out some of your comments in a bit. It's 6.30. Let's get the news and sport now with Richard Williams. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 6.30, the headlines. A Luton man could be forced to demolish his home because he did not get the correct planning permission. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, today. And protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place across the three counties this lunchtime. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Arsenal beat Marseille 2-1 in the Champions League to earn a tenth successive away win and maintain the club's record of never losing a European match to a French side in France. The goals came in the second half from Theo Walcott and midfielder Aaron Ramsey. BBC's Alan Green has more. Though there was a long spell in the first half during which Arsenal didn't play that well, all round this was a deserved victory and shouldn't have been made nervous through conceding a stoppage time penalty to Jordan Ayew. Thankfully, there was no further time for further danger. Both Arsenal goals came in the second half, a poor header by defender Morel being suitably punished by Walcott's fierce volley. Then Ramsey, who quietly played as well as anybody else in Arsenal colours, shot home from 20 yards. And Mandanda also made several good saves. A satisfying start for Arsenal. Jose Mourinho says he accepts responsibility for Chelsea's surprise 2-1 home defeat by Basel in the Champions League. The Swiss side came from behind at Stamford Bridge to record their first ever win in England, but Mourinho still believes his side will finish top two in the group. The objective of finish uh, top two in the group phase and to go to the, the next stage of the Champions League is an objective that, uh, of course, is not, is, not, is not lost, far from it, and is an objective that we are going to fight for. And it's an objective that uh, I, I believe very, very much that we are going to, um, to achieve. MK Don's chairman Pete Winkleman says the latest plans for more retail development next to Stadium MK won't mean a windfall for the football club. 
Crown Estate are funding a £25 million leisure complex at MK1. They're also buying the fitness centre there for £7 million. But the Don's chairman says although this will help the football side of the business, it won't mean big money transfers. Over the last few years during the recession, we've had to run much heavier banking um, you know, to make sure that we could keep delivering everything that we've promised at the stadium and, and cover the football club losses and, and everything else. So it's gone into reducing the debt levels of the business, which just makes us a little bit more competitive and a little bit more able to cope with the twist and turn that the football will no doubt throw us over the next 12 months. Cycling and Sir Bradley Wiggins leads cycling's Tour of Britain going into the fifth stage today. The 177-kilometre ride through Wales finishes in Caerphilly. Mark Cavendish won yesterday's fourth stage in a sprint finish. There's more at seven. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Richard. Coming up, we'll be asking, what do you call your remote control? And we'll also be talking about hydrogen cars. Ooh, the future today. But before that, some of the best NHS trusts in England are to be partnered up with 11 failing trusts, including the one that covers Buckinghamshire as part of a plan to turn their management around. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, will give more details later of how he hopes to deal with the trusts who were put into special measures over concerns about higher-than-average mortality rates. Well, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Paul Rowley. Paul, good morning to you. How significant is this move? It's a shift in thinking. The inquiry, which was conducted after the scandal at Stafford Hospital initially, found major failings in 11 hospitals, of which, of course, one was in Buckinghamshire. Part of the problem in many of these hospitals is mediocre management. People on six-figure salaries and yet no experience really on the ground in those hospitals. Not doctors or nurses. They're just some university-educated management consultants in many respects. When this has happened in the past, they've brought in people from this managerial class, as it were, to try to sort out the mess. The argument is it has failed. Uh, They may, may have the right academic qualifications few Ian have got medical qualifications so the intention is to train out the brightest doctors the brightest nurses who know the problems on the ground uh, or by the hospital bedside and get them in place it's a similar idea to what's happened in the past in schools where successful head teachers take over less successful schools does this amount to a change of policy it does there still will be in some cases uh, some from the the managerial class as it were But the aim is to get high-flying doctors this extra experience. Now, a lot of them may not want to do it. They want to be doctors and save people's lives. They don't want to be running around and looking at budgets and the like. So, you know, you may find that a lot of people don't want to do this, even though it could be highly paid. But there will be a new leadership academy set up. I suppose it's a bit like a a fame academy for doctors. Jeremy Hunt, the health secretary, is looking to recruit about 50 doctors and nurses initially. There'll be a kind of fast track. The scheme will be introduced next spring. The successful applicants will spend, say, a month in the classroom initially over here, then six months on the ground in a trust, and then they're talking about having two months of leadership training, maybe in places like Harvard, you know, where the best of the American presidents used to go over the years. That's still under negotiation, I'm told. But what they really want to do is to get somebody on the ground, frankly, who knows what they're talking about and just doesn't know what looks in the balance. Do we know if doctors are are, are welcoming this? Because, to be honest, I'd rather have the doctors, you know, fix fixing people 
that's the problem uh, and i think it's you know this is a concern that many have if you get a top doctor in one hospital going to a failing hospital say hang on a second he's he's ours we mm. want him uh, and that's the thing and labor is saying why are you sending these people you know uh, abroad for example to harvard you know that's another uh, argument now there are, i suppose there are a lot of holes in this but the argument is look we have failed in the past and people have moved around on top salaries from one trust to another from one failing trust to another this has to be addressed so it's a new idea in many respects but as you rightly say i suppose it happens in management doesn't it ian hmm. uh, everybody wants to be on the radio or the telly they don't want to be a manager in broadcasting let's be honest no we don't, they don't in the slightest so, so when can we see these changes come into effect you, you mentioned spring of next year yeah so effectively the scheme is going to be about 10 months in total uh, and it's going to cost a bit of money as well 10 million pounds now of those who are saying the labor party at the moment the first look at it is saying hang on a second this is not the way to do it because it means, as I say, not only are you taking people out of the game for for the best part of a year, uh, but you know, the, 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 the then you know they could end up turning into man- management consultants and not being doctors anymore. So it's a it's a difficult one. Do they return to the main job once they're finished? That's the other thing. I think in the end, the danger is being sucked into it and turning out to be a manager that's probably just as bad as the rest of them. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, Paul Rowley. Thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr what do you call your remote control and there is a reason for this question have a think about it and i'll explain all in a second well i know a man with nothing in his hands nothing but a rolling stone he told me about when his house burned down and he lost everything he owned he lay asleep for six whole weeks They were gonna ask his mother to choose When he woke up with nothing He said to tell you something When you're nothing, you've got nothing to lose Now I got a hole in my pocket A hole in my shirt Hole all the trouble, he said But now the money's gone Life carries on and I miss it Like a hole in the head Oh, Around her ankles and a baby on her lap She said one day her husband went to get a paper And never came back Mortgage to pay and four kids to raise Keeping the world from the door She said the world's just a puppy and the door's double locked So why you gotta worry me for? Cause he left a hole in my heart Hole in a promise A hole on the side of my bed Oh, but now that he's gone, well, life carries on And I miss him like a hole in the head Sometimes you can't change and you can't choose And sometimes it seems you gain less than you lose Now we've got holes in our hearts Yeah, we've got holes in our lives Well, we've got holes, we've got holes, but we carry on Say we've got holes in our hearts Yeah, we've got holes in our lives Well, we've got holes, we've got holes, but we carry on
likes holes, this fella, doesn't he? Good luck to him. I hope he sorts that out. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. So, what do you call your... Um, it's not the start of a bad joke. Well, it kind of is. What do you call uh, your remote control? And, and Becca has uh, tweeted me already on uh, at Ian Lee. People name their remotes? Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. I call mine the magic. I used to call it the Remy Conch. But the magic is kind of, Why do you call it the magic? Well, it's magical. I remember, I'm old enough to remember days when we didn't have remote controls. We used to have to get up, I know, we used to have to get up and turn the television over or the volume up or down. I say we, it was the children. My dad, Ian, turn the telly over, son. Oh, Dad, turn the telly over! Or he would hit me. That was the 70s. I say hit me, it wasn't, you know, he didn't get his belt off or anything. He didn't give me a slap around the, the Those are the 70s, guys. You, you, you are so lucky, you youngsters. Well, it's in a few of the newspapers today. Um, the, 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 the top 50 names for television remote controls. Well, I'll pick a couple at random. I'll do the top 10 a little bit later on. But I'm keen to know what yours are. 81333, start your text, 3CR. What do you call your remote control? Here's a couple. 50, Trevor. Well, that's just ridiculous. Uh, 41, the Doe Flicky. Yeah, I'll have that. 29, the Dongle. Um, 32, the Melly. Is that named after George Melly, the jazz critic and artist, is it? I don't know. 08459 455 555. What do you call your remote control and indeed why? Give me the top ten a little bit later on. 23, the wand. Yeah, that kind of type. 24, the yeti. You, you kind of wonder what sort of person is dealing with that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. You can text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR. We'll send Justin Dealey out on that in a little bit. But, uh, Justin, we did send you out on a mission earlier on mm. to test, to go up to people in beds, hearts and bucks and uh, ask them if they had reflexes. Yep. And then uh, test them. Exactly. Have you done this? Yes, I have been doing that. You'll hear some, uh, some more later on. But um, I spoke to Karen a moment ago. Um, it was an interesting thing, this, Ian. This is what happened. Hey, good morning, Karen. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Fantastic. What are your reflexes like, Karen? Uh, good, I think. Yeah? I think so. It's a bit early, though. It's very, very early in the morning. Now, if I was to touch your leg, can I just confirm again that you're not going to sue the BBC? No, I'm not going to yeah. sue the BBC. Yeah. These no. are tough times right now. Yeah, there are people around. It's OK. OK. So, I'm going to touch your leg, yes. and let's see what happens next. Here we go. I'm going to test your reflexes. Okay. Here we go. Just below the knee. Yes. Oh, tell us what happened there. Oh, I, I, involuntary movement of the knee, yeah. I think you'll find. Your leg just suddenly moved. It was going at a lightning pace, wasn't it? Yeah. So your, your reflexes are pretty good then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Look, Thank look you very much. Lo- look out, Luton. There you go, Ian. Reflexes <laughs> good so far on the no, streets. What I heard... From- <laughs> What more do you want? Why you did, why did to test wh- people's reflexes. How on earth did Jonathan Vernon Smith get nominated for three Gillard Awards and we didn't get one when we, we are d- dishing out gold like this? Mm. Uh, d- you sound surprised there. You've never seen 
a reflex, have you? A knee reflex? Because it was it was like a child coming down the stairs on Christmas morning and finding a new bike. Oh, no! <laughs> your leg went! But it's not the sort of thing that people do. It's not the sort of thing people go around doing, whacking people's legs on the streets and seeing if their legs move. But you, have you ever seen the, the, the knee reflex in action before? Not particularly, no. Have you? <laughs> I mean, what, but what, when have you seen it, then? Loads of times. When I was at school and we used to mess around with reflexes, when I was at the doctor's and he tested my reflex with the reflex hammer, yeah. uh, when I've been bored on a train and I've played with my reflexes. Oh, do you not get your reflexes out and play with them? No, I don't get my reflexes out. Okay. Go and do some more people, please. And also, go, but can you find out what people call the remote control? Yes, yes. I've no got problem. a long list of stuff I want you to do this morning. I don't feel that you're earning your keep. What, going out onto the streets and hitting people? That is more than earning my keep. Justin, speak to you later on. Thanks, Ian. Ta-ta, 08459 555 555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Southbound M1 starting to slow up a little as you go past Luton at Junction 10 towards 7 at Hemel Hempstead. So on the run down toward London, already starting to slow a bit. The A1 along the Barnet Bypass into London is slow southbound through Boreham Wood from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. Traffic's pretty heavy on the cameras around there. M25 anti-clockwise still very slow. It's gradually getting busier as you go into the roadworks. Junction 26 Waltham Abbey to 25 at Enfield. And on the trains, First Capital Connect now reporting normal service has resumed Cambridge to King's Cross after the signalling problems early this morning at Cambridge. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. I can't believe Justin Dealey has never seen the knee ref reflex in action. How is that... How is that possible? Anyway, 6.46, it's Thursday the 19th of September. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Luton businessman could be forced to tear down his home in Bedfordshire after failing to get the correct approval. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, is setting out plans to improve the 11 worst-performing NHS trusts in England, one of which is Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust. In sport, Arsenal beat Marseille 2-1 in the Champions League to earn a tenth successive away win. Coming up, hydrogen cars. No, I don't know a lot either, so we'll be learning together. But before that, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you. Well, it's a dry early start. We've got the clouds thickening all the while. It's quite chilly outside. We are going to see a bit of wet weather a bit later on through the morning and into the afternoon. It's uh, pushing in from the northwest. It'll probably be with us through the mid-morning, perhaps uh, for some northern areas, actually over the next couple of hours or so. Now, most of the, today's rain is going to be really very light and patchy. We could see the odd heavy burst, but for the most part, really quite light, not amounting to very much at all. It will turn quite breezy and then all of the rain um, should clear by the time we get into the early mid-afternoon really so uh, brightening up quite nicely behind all of this rain and we'll see temperatures rising up to uh, 15 or 16 degrees Celsius so for most of us it is going to be a dry early rush hour and of course a dry late rush hour as well it'll be dry for the end of the day with a bit of brightness perhaps even some sunshine developing so as we head into tonight then it's going to feel quite chilly again temperatures readily dropping into single figures once more some clear spells the wind easing down and for the next few days after today it's looking dry but there'll always be a bit more cloud around than sunshine but still temperatures climbing up we're still into the cooler air tomorrow but then we've got a nice southerly flow so this is going to drag up some much warmer air temperatures are going to be back up to where they should be at this time of year on saturday so hitting 19 20 degrees and by sunday
Sunday and Monday in fact we could be looking at 22 or even 23 degrees Celsius so um, feeling really quite nice and there'll be some sunshine around as well so good news that's the forecast thank you Elizabeth Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Is it too expensive to go green? Well, one of our MEPs has been test driving a car powered by hydrogen fuel. Vicky Ford seems to be quite smitten by the idea and is now calling for more EU funding into scientific research into it. Cars made by Toyota will be on the market by 2015, costing, get, get this, between 30 and £60,000. I'm fine, thanks very much. Would you pay that much for one? Well, Vicky joins me now. Morning, Vicky. Morning. It's a lot of money, isn't it? They are 
quite a lot of money, and I am not expecting these cars to replace you know, my Vauxhall Astra tomorrow. Um, but I do think it's one of those things that for the very long term, sort of 20, 30 years ahead, we need to make sure that we are still in the game when we're looking at research and development. And it's expensive sometimes for a country like the UK to lead in something that's so long term, which is why we are involved in some of these international projects. Some of that happens in Hertfordshire, the University of Hertfordshire. Um, some in Bedfordshire, I've seen projects at Cranfield and obviously at Millbrook. We test them. Well, and, and, but you say Britain are leading, but Toyota is not British, is it? No. What we've seen, for example, in the Olympics last year, there was a London taxi that was hydrogen fuel cells. Um, that was developed at Lotus with a small company. Um, there's a company, actually, an American company called Tesla, which is now a $20 billion company and making money selling um, electric um, battery-operated cars. And again, um, Lotus, which is, you know, our East Anglian company, is tied up with them, helping them. Electric cars have been around for ages, of course. They, they've not really taken off, have they, in, in this country, or the three counties in particular? Um, again, it's one of those things that I think that we're never expecting them to replace fully in the short term our diesel and petrol cars. But in the long term, um, they are investment that we need to make because we need to look at alternative fuels for the future and this is all part of you know learning what could be different alternatives there are plenty of people who use them because the recession people have been replacing cars not as quickly as we might have thought pre-recession but as i said tesla this american company is now selling so many of these things at seventy thousand dollars a car cheapest model um that they're making money so clearly there are some people um most of us can't afford that sort of price, but there are cheaper models out there as well. I could only afford two, and as long as one was red and the other was green. <laughs> uh, you've been driving this, this hydrogen car, Vicky. What, what's it like to drive? Um, hydrogen car, well, this feels like most electric vehicles. Very quiet, very smooth to drive. Um, so it felt more like driving that sort of electric vehicle than I would say like driving a diesel or a petrol car. But other than that, completely like any other car. And how, what's it like in terms of refuelling? Because I know with electric cars you charge them and you only get a certain amount of mileage, which is much less than if you, you filled up a normal car with petrol. What's the hydrogen car well, like? The hydrogen car at the moment, there's really very few refuelling points. I mean, even for the Olympics, I learned those taxis were having to go all the way out to Swindon to get refuelled. So there are very few, so that's why I'm saying we're looking decades ahead in the future here. But with the electric cars, there's obviously the problem that they can take quite a long time to recharge the battery. And so if you're trying to drive a long distance, you need to either have a backup of a a traditional engine or be able to refuel overnight. We put in a very fast fueling point at Millbrook Proving Ground. Um, and that means that they can test the vehicles there. But the advantage of the hydrogen fuel in the very long term may be that they are much faster to refuel, so it's like filling up with um, petrol or diesel. It's going to take a complete changing of our culture, isn't it, to encourage a significant number of people to move from petrol-driven cars to electric or even hydrogen, hydrogen cars. Do you think that's ever going to happen? I think, you know, in, for example, in London, there is a place for battery cars. In our cities, there's places for battery cars. People who do short journeys find that that's useful. They get tax incentives. In the, you know, let's think, in my 
children's when they've grown up when their grandchildren are around are we going to be in a, an era of less petrol less diesel less oil and more nuclear energy and if you have nuclear energy you need to find places to store the electricity because you can't use it all at once and you don't want to use it all at once so therefore storing the energy either through batteries or hydrogen may be the way forward so i'm looking really really into the future here and thinking this is the sort of investment i'm talking about a couple of pence a year per person investing in this long-term research and a lot of money coming from business too and maybe thinking this is just one of those options you want to keep open for future generations. Vicky, thank you very much indeed. That's uh, uh, Vicky Ford who has been driving uh, a hydrogen car for a while now. She's one of our uh, MEPs and has been driving this Toyota hydrogen car. If you want to buy one, wait a couple of years, about 60 grand. 60 grand! Flipping heck! I balked when I bought my Polo for six and a half thousand. I balked at that! Sixty thousand pounds. If I had sixty grand, I think I could spend it slightly better than uh, buying a hydrogen car. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give us uh, a call, um, uh, Richard Williams, who's doing the news today, has just reminded me that uh, there was a there was a period in the late seventies and early eighties, going back to remote control re- remote controls, uh, when it used to be connected by a long cable. I remember my friend had that, and we thought it was dead posh. So you'd have this big block of a remote control and a black cable that went to the television, and you'd change channels like that. My friend had that. I think it was Colin Nelson had it. Uh, And uh, we, we used to think, oh, he's dead posh. He's got a remote control with a cable. How fancy is that? He was also one of the first people I knew to uh, have uh, a big, chunky VHS video recorder. Man, them's the days. You kids with your sky boxes and your TiVos and your you tellies and all that nonsense. Deary me. Uh, if you wanted to take part in the show, uh, 08459 455 555. Also, if you go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, we've got some photographs up of this gentleman's house, Mr Shah, who's built a huge... Well, he's basically rebuilt his house. And the council have said, uh-uh-uh, those aren't the plans we got. Take it down. Go and have a look, put your comment on there, and we'll read them uh, after the news. It's 6.58, let's get the travel. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M1 southbound, slow moving from Junction 10, Luton, past the airport Spur Road there, towards 7 at Hemel Hempstead and the A414. St Albans Road in Harpenden and the A1081, already starting to look quite busy at the junction with Station Road, the B652. The A1M, heavy traffic at Junction 7, Stevenage. The A602, not looking too bad away from there yet today, likely to get busier though. A1 into London as you go through Boreham Wood, quite busy from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. And on on the M25, anti-clockwise, there's a patch of very slow traffic from Waltham Abbey to Enfield, Junction 26 to 25, going into the roadworks. Trains and tubes, though, they're doing really well this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. A, a mixed bag today. Reflexes, remote controls, hydrogen cars and building applications. I know, we'll, we'll sort it all out after seven, don't worry. Here's the news with Richard. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
It's 7 o'clock, I'm Richard Williams. The headlines, home to be demolished in Bedfordshire, new measures for Buckinghamshire NHS Trust and demonstrations against probation privatisation. BBC Three Counties Radio. A house in barton le Clay could be demolished because the owners did not get the correct planning permission. Saeed Raza Shah insists he did follow the right process to extend his home, but Central Bedfordshire Council say it's a new build that required different permission. An enforcement order requiring the home to be demolished has now been issued. Conservative councillor Nigel Long says he has little sympathy for the owner. We've been talking to Mr Shah since this began. So Mr Shah has been aware that this would, was unlikely to get a retrospective planning permission, uh, but he went ahead anyway and, uh, and sought a... England's best performing hospitals are going to be paid to help turn around failing ones. The Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt will announce the plans later today. The idea is to support 11 NHS trusts, one of which is Buckinghamshire, which were criticised in a recent review prompted by high death rates. A jury has been unable to reach a verdict in the case of a University of Bedford student accused of killing a teenager in a crash on the A1M. Theo Menzar was a passenger in her car when the accident happened. Lee Agnew reports. St Albans Crown Court heard that Shabazz Whitehorn was driving home to London with three others when her car left the motorway near Welling Garden City. 18-year-old Theo, a semi-professional footballer who had trials at Wickham Wanderers, was pronounced dead at the scene. Miss Whitehorn pleaded not guilty to causing death by careless driving. The jury was discharged after they couldn't agree a verdict. An inquest continues today in the death of a girl at a GP surgery in Bedfordshire. One-year-old Lucy Linforth had been waiting over an hour to be seen by a doctor in Marston Mortain. Amptill Coroner's Court has been told she died from a sudden heart attack which had been brought on by a serious viral lung infection. Protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place this lunchtime. The National Association of Probation Officers said it will compromise public protection. Our political reporter Paul Scoynes has more. There will be protests by NAPO and Unison representatives in Luton, Bedford, Stevenage, St Albans, Watford and Chesham today. In January this year, Justice Secretary Chris Grayling said security firms and voluntary groups would manage probation on a payments-by-results basis. The government will offer £500,000 to voluntary and community sector groups to help them prepare to bid for probation contracts. And in sport in the Champions League, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea side suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat at home to the Swiss side FC Basel, while Arsenal won 2-1 away in Marseille. Your weather, it will be mist clearing this morning. There should be some sunny spells, but perhaps the odd isolated shower later. There'll be a top temperature of 16 degrees Celsius. That's 61 degrees Fahrenheit. And don't forget, you can get all your latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Thank you, Richard. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show, as always, including a man from Bedfordshire has been told he has to demolish his house after planning permission for an extension was rejected. Well, is that fair? We're going to talk about that in the next few minutes. If you can, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We have a picture of the house before and a picture of the house after. Go and have a look. 
have your say and uh, we'll read out some of those comments a little bit or you can give us a call as well I'll give you the phone number in a bit successful NHS hospitals in England are going to be paid to help improve those that are failing including those run by the Buckinghamshire NHS Trust and also Conservative MP Philip Hollibone would like to see national service young people being forced to take a year out to do charity work care for the elderly or serve in the armed forces well what do you think it happens in other european countries would you like to see it here facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr send me a text 81333 start your text 3cr or give me a call 08459 455 555 Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. My initial reaction when uh, the, the, the prospect of national service is, is introduced is, oh no, no. But then uh, part of me kind of thinks, well, I, it, it works, well, it, some of my Greek relatives perform national service. I was going to say it works, but it's sort of quite corrupt. And if you know, if you know somebody in the army or you know somebody in parliament or local government you get quite a cushy job. One of my cousins got to guard a museum for a year. I mean, really? We'll talk about that more in, uh, about that a little bit more in a bit. 08459 455 555. But before that, a Luton businessman could be forced to tear down his home in central Bedfordshire after failing to get the correct approval. Saeed Raza Shah received planning permission in 2011 for an extension to part of his house in Barton Le Clay, but he carried out further work to make the home bigger. After submitting retrospective planning permission a few weeks ago, which has been refused, he's been served with an enforcement order telling him to demolish the home. Well, our reporter, Barry Caffrey, went to visit him. I bought the house in 2008. It was dilapidated. It had a flat roof, an eyesore. The windows, aluminium double glazing, not eco-friendly. The house needed to be renovated. I sought permission in 2011 and was granted permission to extend. A family of six, we've only got seven bedrooms, it was five bedrooms originally. We've utilised the space for our leisure and pleasure. Um, The council have an understanding that it's a new build. I've sent 41 emails to the chief planning officer expressing that it's not a new build. All existing walls foundations, basement, first floor are all existing, but built on top with planning permission. So you're saying the council are saying this is a new build and you're saying it's not? It's not a new build. So what did you do to extend the house? What, what did you do to change it? Well, we sought planning permission, as I say, and we've extended on the right-hand side five metres. Okay. We've also, we were also given permission to build on top pitched roof and we've utilized the space on the roof and uh, made bedrooms so at the moment you've got what one two three four five are those bedrooms just kind of they on are, the tops they are bedrooms then. and is is that a problem with the council or no they have if you check their refusal notice they've refused it on the grounds that it's a new build it's unsympathetic i mean i've already started a petition I've got 3,000 names on the petition to say that it's magnificent. It's not out of place. The, ho- the building that was here before was always different. The council themselves, when there was objections on my planning permission to say refuse, 
with certain residents, they objected themselves and they overruled and said that all the houses on this road are different and individual. So I don't see how they are saying it's unsympathetic and, and, and it's too individual now. I haven't just crammed bedrooms in. It looks bigger than it is. It's only seven bedrooms, just enough for my family. Uh, we've got one reception hall, we've got one lounge, we've got a gym, I've got a carport and a garage, a kitchen diner. It, I, I don't see what the issue is, um, why it's been classed as a new bill and why they've taken such drastic actions. Well, that's Saeed Raza Shah speaking to our reporter Barry Caffrey. Go and look at the pictures on facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR uh, and give us a call. Let me know what you think. 08459 555. Well, I'm joined now by Councillor Nigel Young from Central Bedfordshire Council. Morning, Nigel. What's the problem here? Um, the, well, I just heard uh, Mr Shah speaking. Of course, I think what he didn't say was that Central Beds Council have been working with him for a considerable amount of time to, to try and have him follow the original planning permission, which was granted to him for an extension to the existing property. And it, to get into context, the, the, um, the difference between the two properties, the, the granted planning permission increased the uh, floor space uh, by approximately 45%, and the building that's been constructed has increased the floor space by 200%. So we didn't just... Uh, quickly refuse or uh, without guiding Mr Shah through this process. How uh, does we, the process work, Nigel? Is it that, that an architect um, draws up plans that, that then get sent to the council and they say, well, yes, you can do this bit, no, you can't do this bit, and it goes back and forth until you've, you've, you've both agreed on the design? Is that, is that how it works? Yes, that's almost exactly correct. The plans are submitted and plans were submitted and Mr Shah was uh, granted permission for an extension, which... Uh, was actually for a single-storey side extension, a roof alteration with rear dormer windows. And, of course, I think looking at the photos, which I'm looking at now on your Facebook site, mm. um, the, the, the building that's, that's come out, which we, we told Mr Shah during construction was inappropriate, is very, very substantially larger than the planning permission granted. So it, it wasn't the case of Mr Shah finished and you sent an officer to look at it and go, well, hang on, that's not what we said. All through the process, you're claiming that the, the, the council was saying to him, Mr Shah, this, this does not fit in with our plans. That's it. Well, the plans he submitted. The plans he submitted. You're right, Ian. Exactly right. Uh, he claims that the problem is that you're saying it's a new build. What's, what's that all about? Well, it's, it's kind of the difference between taking the existing shell and putting a small extension on it and the, the, the very, very extensive renovations, for instance, the turreted circular uh, ex- uh, piece at the front of the building, the, the balconies that are here, the large dormer windows on the roof. It's become a new build around, uh, I assume, the shell of the old building. When Mr Shah was, was told during construction that, that this wasn't appropriate and, and wouldn't pass the, uh, the, the regulations, what did he say? What was his response? Well, to be fair, I wasn't involved with Mr Shah throughout this process. It was planning officers. And I, uh, our enforcement officers would work with him throughout the process until eventually they were forced to issue an enforcement notice. He has put a retrospective application in for this building, but that has been refused. And, of course, I think what Mr Shah will do now, if he's not already done it, he, he will appeal uh, that decision, um, and he'll take the enforcement notice to a planning inspector 
who will decide whether or not he must remove the building. Uh, and how likely do you think it is he will be forced to remove that building? Well, planning regulations are quite clear about uh, the size of extensions in the green belt. So you, you are allowed to extend in the green belt, but you can't extend much more than a certain amount, which I can't exactly remember. Uh, but 45% was acceptable extension in the green belt, 200% is not. Is it, there might be some people listening, uh, Nigel, who are thinking, oh, this is a little bit unfair. This is, this is bureaucracy. It's, it's not particularly dominated. I mean, it's, it's a big house. There's no denying that. But it's obviously situated on a big bit of land. It doesn't seem to be affecting any of the neighbours. Can't you just, you know, kind of slap his wrists and, and let him keep it up? No. And, and 11 neighbours have, in fact, objected. Uh, again, looking at the photograph, you'll see that smaller flat roof building uh, was shielded by trees. Driving down Barton Bypass, heading south towards Luton, the new building dominates the skyline uh, and is very, very visible from the bypass. And the principle of development in the Green Belt says that that cannot be uncontrolled. So a small extension would have been fine and it would have been properly screened. But uh, building this this way, it really is, uh, in an area of outstanding natural beauty, really does dominate the scene. And, and just in, in terms of, of, you know, whether or not people would be sympathetic to, to the house and the building, uh, we're, we're in a quasi-judicial role. We follow whatever rules and laws the government lays down at the time, and we advise people that that is the case. And, and it's, it's like all things. If the law says you can't do it and you do it, then there are consequences. Uh, you say 11 uh, neighbours have complained. That, that those yeah. are formal complaints, are they? Yes, and the parish council similarly. Is this unusual, Nigel? Do, do, do most people adhere to the planning regulations, or, or, or do some people try it on? Well, some try it on, but the vast majority uh, do adhere to planning regulations, and we've got a team that will work with them uh, whenever an application is submitted. I mean, in the case of extension, I have to say, it's usually uh, arbitration between neighbours. It's very unusual, uh, and I haven't come across in my experience, for something of this size to be built, uh, despite the advice that we've been giving. Nigel, thanks very much for your time. Councillor Nigel Young from Central Beds Council. You can have a look, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. It is big. There's no denying it. It is substantially bigger than the original property. And it's, um, it's very distinctive. Uh, Kevin says, it looks like they've made changes for the better, but the changes are more than just a couple of walls, and they should have waited for planning permission. If you get declined, you don't just ignore the decision. And he says, as stated, it's not just a minor extension like an extra room or converting a garage. Rules are rules. He's clearly taken the pee. Um, Trevor says, I've got no time for these sorts of people. All the workers were illegal immigrants from Asia. They lived and slept in the garage. Well, Trevor, now that's quite a big accusation to, to bandy around. Where on earth did you get that from? I do hope you've got some facts to back that up. I'd be surprised if you did. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, Jenny says, what was the impact on his neighbours' properties? Well, we've just heard 11 neighbours have complained. Uh, And let's uh, pick one more. Stephen says, no sympathy. Rules is rules. End of. Go and have a look. What do you think? If what Nigel Young was saying there is true, that the council all the way through it were going, Mr Shah, this isn't adhering to the plans that we'd agreed, then it is difficult to have sympathy with him. Isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's a quarter past seven. I'm Ian Lee. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Adam. 
Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Looking at the cameras and the speed sensors, it's still quite slow on the M1 southbound from Junction 10 past the Luton Airport Spur towards 7 at Hemel Hempstead. The A414, a little bit busy round there as well. Harpenden, the A1081 St Albans Road southbound. Heavy traffic as you approach Station Road. Things looking busy on the A1M as you go past Stevenage, Junction 7. And if you're continuing all the way into London, expect delays in Boreham Wood. There's heavy traffic from Stirling Corner down to Mill Hill Circus. M25 is steadily, steadily getting slower from the M11 all the way through to Enfield into the roadworks. Then from the M1 to Kings Langley, Junction 20. 21 to 20 and from Maple Cross to the M40 junction 17 to 16. No delays through the works on the M40 as yet this morning round junction 7 at Tame and if you're commuting by rail trains and tubes running to time. Adam Glynn BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Adam. Right, 7.17, it's uh, Thursday the 19th September. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A house built without the correct planning permission could be demolished following a ruling by Central Bedfordshire Council. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, today. And in sport, Jose Mourinho says he's confident Chelsea will still qualify for the Champions League knockout stages despite their shock 2-1 home defeat to FC Basel. Coming up, what do you call your remote control? BBC Three Counties Radio. Saturdays on BBC Three Counties Radio are about... Six minutes past six, starting your Saturday morning. Let's get stuck straight into the news. Memories. Let's begin with the UK charts from this day. 1980. Food. My Weekend Kitchen brings you delicious, simple recipes for you to make at home. Sport. Live commentary every week from your local team. And local unsigned music. BBC Introducing, bringing new local music to beds, hearts and bucks. For full programme details, go online to BBC co.uk slash three counties Saturdays on BBC Three Counties Radio 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR as well we're talking a little bit about national services uh, someone has called for it to be introduced we'll get there in a little bit before that though Justin Dealey hello boss so this morning we're in the office we're having a little bit of banter we're crossing our legs and we're playing with our reflexes it's a fun game <laughs> and I said to you Justin have you got reflexes mm. huh reflexes have you got reflexes it's a joke question we've all got them yeah are you going what does does that mean I'm bendy yeah, genuinely, I did actually say that earlier on this morning because I thought it was a weird question to ask because every single person has got reflexes. So I thought you wanted me again in a certain position on the floor to, to take photographs and you, make fun of me. You, you didn't, Justin. You didn't know what reflexes meant. Oh, you, you didn't know what it meant. Well, you know, if you move your arm or you blink or you sneeze, they're, they're all reflexes, aren't okay. they? Surely. You, you were getting technical with me. Yeah, yes, I was getting technical with you. That's correct. I was, I was using the Latin word reflex. Now, uh, we've asked you to go out this morning and ask people if they are... Uh, if they have reflexes and t- to test them yeah did any did anybody comply uh, yes they did actually um, I, I got that look of excuse me yep. and, they, and then suddenly they got it uh, because of course we do things differently on this program so I've been out this morning testing people's reflexes Ian this is what happened Warren, good morning to you. You're a policeman. I'm on my best behaviour, aren't I? (laughs) Always, always, yes. So, um, Ian Lee has sent me out this morning. He wants to know if your reflexes are any good. 
Oh, I'd like to think so. Yeah, OK. Now, I'm about to touch you somewhere on your body. Um, wh- where is the best place to touch you to get some reflex movements? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Try an arm. <laughs> try an arm. Whereabouts on the arm? About there. About there. OK, here we go. Oh, again, you moved, didn't you? I did, I I'll did. i do it again. Yeah, Ooh. Yeah. Not bad. Good you? reflexes, then. <laughs> thank you. Great stuff, thank you. Right, take care. Hey, Zach, you're a taxi driver. Can you just pop out for a second? Yeah, sure. Okay, Zach, I'm from the Ian Lee Breakfast Show, which is big rounds here. Yeah. What are your reflexes like? Are they any good? Uh, they're okay. Is there a certain part of your body, if I touch it, it'll suddenly just move automatically? Yeah, probably, like, my legs or my arms, probably. Would you mind if I was to test your reflexes now? Would that be okay? Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so I'm going to hit your leg. Can I just confirm, if I do break anything, you're not going to sue me? No, I'm not. Okay, I'm going to hit your leg. Here we go. Ooh. Ooh. Wow! Your leg was moving then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, you know, a natural part of you that just moves... Can you score the sensation at a 10 for me? Was it enjoyable for you? Uh, not really. Uh, it was, I would give it a 1 out of 10. 1 out of 10? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I thought it was getting on well. Thank you very much. Cheers, thank you. 1 out of 10? Yeah. He was a little bit grumpy, wasn't he? It was a bit grumpy because, I mean, you were saying earlier on that, that you play with your reflexes I love it. for fun. Yeah, I love it. Uh, there's somebody scoring his reflexes at a 1 out of 10. I'm, I've got a long train journey today. I'm going to Leeds later on. I'm going to spend most of that journey playing with my reflexes. I'm going to get my reflexes out on the train and, and yeah. just flash them all over the place. You are a crazy man. That's, that's the way I like to live, Justin. Thank you very much indeed. 08459-455-555 is the telephone number. Now, look, there's, here's something that uh, pops up every now and then. Should every young person in Britain be forced to take a year out to do charity work, care for the elderly, or serve in the armed forces? Well, that's what the Conservative MP Philip Hollobone would like to see. He's put forward a private member's bill to reintroduce compulsory national service. But there's growing support for the campaign against the bill. 30,000 people have now signed the petition. Well, what do you think? Is it a good idea to bring back national service? I know I would have hated it. Would have hated it. Maybe you did it. You think it'll bring a bit of discipline back. Surely you'll just have... If, it, if they, they're forced to do military service for you, just have a, a, a bunch of grumpy, um, disrespectful teenagers standing there and they don't want to be there. Yeah, whatever. Tension! Yeah, whatever, Gov. Andrea's in Hitchin. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, Ian. Should we bring back national service? Too right we should. Why? Well, because it gives them a little bit of grounding, doesn't it? I mean, all these uh, all these kids that, that go off the rails or, or are over-educated and, and have no, no experience, it gives them a little bit of grounding. It gives them, it gives them a good start. It, gives them, it brings them into the, uh, into the working, working life of being a, a, a big adult, you know, um, a, little bit, a little bit better, in my opinion. But surely, the, you know, they should, most young people do get a good grounding. There's only a few that are little oiks and little so-and-sos. Uh, and if they get sent into military service for a year or something similar, they're not going to do as they're told, are they? You can't make them do as they're told, or can you? Well, I would, uh, I would beg to differ. I've been seen uh, friends that have gone into the armed forces that have been little oiks, um, and they've come out fine young people. Um, I would, I would, I would beg to differ on that because they have to do as they're told. You know, it's only at the end of the day, it's only a year. It's not, you know, you're not asking them to go into the army for the rest of their lives. And those, those said oiks, that might be a way of them actually finding something that that 
is a good job for them in the in the future that they actually thoroughly enjoy. Are you only saying this, Andrea? Because, in no disrespect, you're too old for it to apply to you. You could, could would you like an enforced year in the military? No, I'd have done it. We we um, we went on holiday a few years ago to um, Turkey. And, you know, you, you get chatting with the waiters and the waitresses and, and they have to do, um, I think it's three years, I think they have to do um, in, in the services. And, and what a fabulous idea. Andrea, thank you very much indeed. Well, we'll be speaking to Conservative MP Philip Hollobone, who's uh, put forward this idea a little bit later on in the programme. Keen to get your thoughts. 08459 455 555. Is it really a good idea? It's a very old-fashioned idea. They do do it in the continent. They do do it in Turkey. I know they do it in Greece. I think, is it 18 months, two years? Uh, They do it in Israel, and Israel's a proper full-on military kind of uh, 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 service you have to do. I... You kind of have to think two things. Would you like to do it? And would you like your children to do it? And for me, the answer to both of those questions is no. No. I wouldn't like... And, and, and Mr Hollowbone MP is, is suggesting that it could be charity work as well as armed forces. But a, a, a year of your life stolen from you, forced to work for the government, possibly in a military environment, I wouldn't like that. Oh eight four five nine, four double five five double five. Probation officers across beds, hearts and bucks will protest today over fears the service is about to be sold off to private companies by the government. The Justice Secretary says he wants 70% of the probation service to be run by companies like G4S and Securicor. The officers say that could mean the service won't be as good and their jobs could be at risk. Well, Bob Turney is a former burglar who was in prison in the 70s. He went on to become a probation officer and has now retired. Morning, Bob. What difference did the probation service make to you when you were an offender? Oh, it was just my, uh, it was just totally my, uh, my saviour, really, when you think about it. I mean, I had this probation officer, she was, and contacted me over a 10-year period and really turned it around for me. She inspired me, actually, to go on to be a probation officer. Well, how, how did she turn it around? What, what practical help did, did they well, give? Well, she, she, she just, because uh, I was living such a chaotic life, I was drugs, alcohol, stuff like that, you know, uh, I'm a typical offender, Ian. You know, I, I ticked all the boxes. I am um, profoundly dyslexic, um, fell through the education system. Anyway, in my chaotic life, she was the only stable influence there. She, you know, she, she was just stable. She was just repeating the message to me, and eventually the penny dropped. What do you think would change if the probation service was run by a private company? Well, I think, you know, this, uh, uh, this, this thing the government's got, you know, pay for the results. I mean, they will tend to cherry-pick, won't they, the easy ones to manage. Uh, like, you know, take like, a typical drink driver. Gets on probation because they've been done with drink driving. I mean, I've had a number of them on my, on my, on my case, though. I guarantee that 90% of them might to return to court halfway through to end for good progress. Yeah, the very essence of what probation is about is people like me that live very chaotic lifestyles and they're, um, they're, they're um, <clears throat> you know, they need a lot of attention, they need a lot of work done on, but we, we would be classed as failures, you know. Um, so you're concerned that, that if, it, if it's, you know, a, a pay, you get paid if, uh, or you get bonuses if, you, if you're successful, that, that, that some of the perhaps the, the more challenging clients would be ignored? 
Well, it wouldn't be a nod. They'd just be breached straight back to court and, and sentenced in another way. You know, this is this is what the, this is what my concern is because you know you were going to privatisation. They're all talking. It's all about making. It's all about making profits. It's all about this, isn't it? With private enterprise rather than um, the good old slog probation officer that works very hard trying to keep people. You know, trying to help people to get over their problems. The government does have to save money. Of course, they do. I, is there any way that the current probation service could be streamlined to save cash? Um, not really. It needs to be more funded. See, the trouble is, we we use prison far too often in this country for some you know some crimes. I mean, particularly like. Yeah, there's a lot of people in prison with mental health issues. They need to be they need to be taken out of the system and dealt with properly. I mean, you know, you've got the prison staff. They can't take and pick and choose who's going to turn up their doorstep at night. They're not trained to deal with mental health people. So it's all that you need to look at. Then, then there's good. There could be good, strong community sentencing. Well, you know, like restorative justice and stuff like that could come on main screen, but it'll all cost. But in the long run, it'll be a lot cheaper because you'll be saving prices, uh, money on prisons. Bob, thanks very much for your time. Bob Turney, former burglar, went on to become a probation officer, is now retired. Well, we did ask the Ministry of Justice to provide a statement several times, uh, but they didn't come back to us with any information. So thanks for that, guys. 08459 455 555. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's time to get the latest travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still busy on the M25, anti-clockwise. Very slow-moving traffic from back before the M11 now through to Enfield and the roadworks, which start at Junction 25. It's then slow once you're out of the roadworks from the M1 to Kings Langley, Junction 21 to 20, and Maple Cross to the M40, Junction 17 to 16. There are delays on the A1M with heavy traffic past Stevenage at Junction 7 and into London on the A1 from Boreham Wood at Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. It's also looking quite slow on the M1, southbound from Luton Airport Spur toward Junction 7 at Hemel Hempstead. And in Harpenden, heavy traffic on the St Albans Road, the A1081. It's southbound as you go past Station Road, the B652. Speed tensors not picking up any other major issues. The A414 is moving well. No trouble so far this morning on the M40. A little bit slow through the roadworks in Beaconsfield on the A355. There are some temporary traffic lights up at Burnham Road as you come down toward the M40. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. At half past seven, the headlines, I'm Richard Williams. A Luton man could be forced to demolish his home because he did not get the correct planning permission. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management today. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt. And protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place across the three counties this lunchtime. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Arsenal beat Marseille 2-1 in the Champions League to earn a tenth successful away win and maintain the club's record of never losing a European match to a French side in France. The goals came in the second half from Theo Walcott and midfielder Aaron Ramsey. Manager Arsene Wenger thinks the Welshman is improving with every match. Honestly, I didn't expect him to score so many goals. Especially as improved, I think, in his uh, passing, in his uh, technical quality. Scoring, you know, is a bit cyclic. You have moments, uh, periods where it goes in, periods where it doesn't go in. But for me, the most important is the quality of his game. 
Jose Mourinho says he accepts responsibility for Chelsea's surprise 2-1 home defeat by Basel in the Champions League. The Swiss side came from behind at Stamford Bridge to record their first ever win in England, but Mourinho still believes his sides will finish top two in the group. The objective of finish uh, top two in the group phase and to go to the the next stage of the Champions League is an objective that, uh, of course, is not is not is not lost. Far from it, and is an objective that we are going to fight for, and is an objective that uh, I I believe very very much that we are going to um, to achieve. MK Dons chairman Pete Winkleman says the latest plans for more retail development to Stadium MK won't mean a windfall for the football club. Crown Estate are funding a £25 million leisure complex at MK1. They're also buying the fitness centre there for £7 million. But the Dons chairman says although this will help the football side of the business, it won't mean big money transfers. Over the last few years during the recession, we've had to run much heavier banking um, you know, to make sure that we could keep delivering everything that we've promised at the stadium and, and cover the football club losses and, and everything else. So it's gone into reducing the debt levels of the business, which just makes us a little bit more competitive and a little bit more able to cope with the twist and turn that the football will no doubt throw us over the next 12 months. Queen's Park Rangers are the new championship leaders after a goalless draw with Brighton at Loftus Road, whilst a 96th winner, winner from Adam Lafondra saw Reading snatch a 1-0 win over Leeds. And in cycling, Bradley Wiggins leads cycling's Tour of Britain going into the fifth stage today. The 177-kilometre ride through Wales finishes in Caerphilly. Mark Cavendish won yesterday's fourth stage in a sprint finish. There's more at eight. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties. Morning. We'll be talking national service in a bit. Do you think it's a good idea? Well, one Conservative MP is calling for it to come back. But before that, on the subject of Mr Shah and his house, if you've not seen it, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR, pictures of before and after. He's had a little bit of work done to it. He's had a little bit of work done to it. Uh, and the council are saying, well, hang on, this, this, this isn't the plan that you gave us, Mr Shah. Take it down. Not much sympathy for him. Um, we've got some texts, 81333, start your text, 3CR. Uh, why does Mr Shah believe he can do what he wants when the rest of us have to wait for planning permission? I've seen many so-called brick sheds that resemble bungalows on show in back gardens down the busway. I bet they have no planning permission and the council know about them, I suspect. I agree with central beds in this instance. Get him to tear it down and make an example of him if necessary. Pat. Gary and Luton. Mr Shah should be made to tear the extension down. He tried it on and was warned, but thinks he's above the rules we all have to play by. Tough. Pull it down. There's a few Facebook comments. 31 Facebook comments, which is a lot for half past seven in the morning. We'll get to those in a little bit. A few of you on Facebook being a bit sympathetic... Most not. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call about that. Now, on the subject of national service, should every young person in Britain be forced to live away from home for a year to do charity work, care for the elderly or serve in the armed forces? Well, that's what the Conservative MP, Mr Philip Hollobone, would like to see. He's put forward a private member's bill to reintroduce compulsory national service. Well, Philip Hollobone joins me on the line now. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Ian. Why do you think this will be a good idea? Well, I think it would um, be beneficial to the young people who take part. And I think it would also be beneficial to our society as a whole if young people were engaged in this way. In what way, let's deal with those one at a time, in what way would it benefit the young people involved? 
Well, they would have a choice about the activity they would do in their year of service. <clears throat> but what they do would be of benefit to society. And what would happen is, is that every young person, 18 upwards, effectively would have to mix with other 18-year-olds from all across the country, all sorts of different backgrounds, get to know each other. And that would be a life-enriching experience for them whilst doing youthful work. So what, what would the options be in, in, in your ideal setup? Well, charitable work, social action, work with the NHS, overseas development activity, work with the emergency services, work with the Majesty's Armed Forces. There'll be a whole range of different programmes that would come forward. I know lots, well, I know a few young people, and the significant majority of them would go mental if they were were forced to give up a year of their lives, mixing with other 18-year-olds. I wonder, actually, about that. Um, one in every three babies born today will live to 100 our life expectancy is as never before. And to ask somebody to take one year out of their life, when nowadays they could well live to 100, I don't think it's too much to Well, ask. but an 18-year-old isn't going to see it. You know, time moves slower for younger people. They're not going to see that as a, a 100th, 1% of, of their potential lifespan. They're go- possibly, I would imagine, listen, I'm a 40-year-old man, what do I know? Uh, but they, they are possibly going to see it on an infringement of, of their civil liberties, to, to be forced by the government to... To, to go and do something that perhaps they're not that keen to do. Have you spoken to many 18-year-olds about this? Well, I speak to lots of 18-year-olds all the time. Um, and in return for their year of service, they would have a lifetime tax break on their income tax bill. So there'll be an ongoing benefit throughout their life. Uh, oh, that, that, ah, so there is, there is kind of a, a, a carrot before the donkey. What, what would the, the, the tax break be? Well, you'd have an increase in your personal allowance of 10% above everyone else. But I think the thing is, if you talk to people who've done national service, most of them will say to you that it was a life-enriching experience for them, and they got a lot out of it, and they don't regret having done it. What would be the punishment if if people refused to, to partake in this compulsory national service? Well, that would have to be decided. Um, I don't know what the punishment would be. There'd have to be a punishment if you're going to make this compulsory. But you mentioned there the carrot. Um, you know, there would be a lifetime tax break if you did take part. And I think most people would respond positively to it. Uh, and how would this be funded? Or, or is this or is this just a case of cheap labour? Well, no, a lot of it would come out of existing budgets. So, for example, I think... A, very popular option in the scheme would be overseas development activity. Young people going abroad to do work in impoverished nations. Now, a lot of that money would come from the UK's existing overseas aid budget. So instead of just pouring money into these countries overseas, we could actually use that budget to actually help train our young people in doing those projects abroad. Is this just another way of of kind of cooking the books slightly and and keeping young people off the unemployment register? Because they they compulsorily have to stay at school until 18, or they will do soon, and then there's another year. So they're kind of tied up in governmental uh, departments until 19, 20 years old. Yes, I mean, I, I don't look at it in that sort of negative way. I see this as a positive experience for young people, uh, giving them an experience which they wouldn't otherwise have had, getting them to mix with other people from around the country and developing their personal skills. So there'll be a lot of emphasis on getting the basics right, you know, how to look after yourself, timekeeping, self-respect, respect for the elderly.
that's the sort of thing I think we need to try and instill into a lot of our young people. How does this go down in, in other countries? I know that there are some European countries, uh, Turkey and Greece, uh, that still have national service. Israel does, of course. How, how is it received by young people there? Well, the national service in those countries is very much militarily based. So in Israel, for example, uh, if you're a woman, you have to do two years military service. If you're a man, you have to do three years. And that's very much in the army. Now, this new national service bill isn't about that. Whilst there's an armed forces option, there are all sorts of other options to do with social care, charitable work, working with the NHS and so on. Uh, Philip, thank you very much for your time. It's an an interesting idea and we'll, we'll put it out to you now, dear listener. What do you think? 08459 four double five five double five. That's uh, Philip Hollibone, who is a Conservative MP. He would like to see the reintroduction of national service. Not necessarily uh, joining the army, although that could be a possible option. But it's doing service for your nation in the truest sense, working for charities, working in the NHS, um, possibly doing something within the army going abroad and and helping impoverished countries there. It sounds like a nice idea, but if you're doing charity work and voluntary work, surely you can only do it to the best of your ability if, if it's through choice, if you are driven to do it. You suddenly get dumped in Africa for a year and you don't want to be there, but it was, it seemed the best of a bad lot. You're not really going to give it your all, are you? And I don't think I'd want to impose some of our 18-year-olds on on Africans, on the NHS. Some of them are flipping horrible. 08459 455 555. Brian's in High Wycombe. Morning, Brian. National Service. Good idea? Um, well, a lot of it depends on the economics and how, the, what, how much is involved on the exchequer. But uh, it didn't do me any harm. And, uh, in fact... Uh, did me a lot of good. It changed my career and uh, set me on a good path. Well, but, what, what uh, path did it set you on, Brian? Well, I was a clerk when I went in, and uh, after two years came back, went into that office, transferred to the drawing office, and uh, had a life in engineering and uh, finished up, uh, at, well, at public inquiries and things. The world was, with the greatest of respect, sir, the world was a different place back then. Yeah, wasn't it? And, and to, to bring it in now, when we have so many freedoms that perhaps we didn't have, you know, 60 years ago, um, it, it would breed a lot of resentment, wouldn't it, with the young people? I don't think it could be, it obviously couldn't be done in the same way. I think it, you know, it's this weather community service, and uh, I actually, I mean, whereas nowadays, with my grandchildren, they're a little bit older, two years older, and they're going off to university is a big thing or we missed they look after them and uh, wouldn't they it was just uh, get down to the station get up to to king's cross go up to catterick and uh, i sent a letter home at once a fortnight no no mobile phones and things no contact apart from transfer letters once a week but you had emails though didn't you Pardon? No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, of course. It, it, was, it was a different world back then, and if you it were away from home, world, you were away from home, weren't you? As to whether the, sort of, it could be done as a community service, it's, I don't think it could ever be fitted in now into modern life. Brian, thank you for your time. Brian in High Wycombe, it improved his life. Listen, I'm all for young people volunteering and doing stuff and going helping out the local community and, and, and cleaning... Um, 
you know, canals and going working in a local hospital and, 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 you know, playing with the kids and stuff like that. But it has to come, surely, from a place of wanting to do it. If you're there resenting it and, you know, kind of rolling your eyes every time you're asked to do something and dragging your feet as you walk to the canal to pull dead cats and shopping trolleys out, if, if that's your attitude, it ain't gonna work, is it? You need to be committed to it. You need to want to do it. And part of me does worry, oh, this is cheap labour. This is the same thing as, as, as uh, getting people to work for their job seekers' allowance. You've got to work 30 hours a week to get your job seekers' allowance. Well, that's one proposal that's being put forward. Is this not just the same thing? We keep the unemployment figures down because we know there's a problem with uh, people under the age of 21 who are unemployed. This keeps the unemployment figures down. Um, they don't have to sign on. We save a few quid. Cheap labour. What do you think? 08459 555. Listen, I'm an old man. This is an old man's show. I, I'm doubtful we'll have any 18-year-olds listening to this. But, 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 if we do, could you give me a call and let me know your thoughts? The MP we just spoke to, Philip Hollibone, said he did speak to 18-year-olds. Didn't tell me what they'd said. And didn't tell me if they were from a wide political background. 08459 455 555. The reintroduction of national service. If it happened today, would you be happy for your children, your grandchildren, to to be called up? To be sent, I don't know, to, to the wilds of Scotland, for goodness sakes? And if you're an 18-year-old, I know it's a long shot, I know. Would you be happy to do it? Do you think, that's yeah, not a bad idea, actually. I could do with the, the experience, travelling the world and helping out orphans. 08459 555 555. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's a quarter to eight. Let's get the travel news now with Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking slow on the M1, particularly southbound from Luton toward Hemel Hempstead, junction 10 through to 7. It's not a solid queue, but it is very slow moving. M25 not looking ideal this morning. Very busy into the roadworks from back at the M11 through to Enfield and then onwards toward Potter's Bar. Once you're out of the works, you'll find it slow from the M1 to Kings Langley and from Maple Cross through to the M40. The A1M southbound heavy at Stevenage and then into London through Boreham Wood. Delays from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Indeed, the A10 looking quite slow as you go in toward London this morning as well. Southbound through Enfield, Bullsmore Lane to Southbury Road. Harpenden, the delays on the A1081 haven't dissipated quite yet. It's still looking quite busy around Station Road. London Coney roundabout starting to slow a little. The A5 getting a bit busy around Mark Yate and indeed through Dunstable, though it's not looking too bad in Dunstable at the minute. And things around Bedford and Milton Keynes for the moment are looking good. Trains and tubes, they're doing well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, 7.46, it's Thursday the 19th of September. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Central Bedfordshire Council says a Luton man ignored the advice given to him when extending his house. Saeed Raza Shah, who lives in Barton-de-Clay, has been told he must now demolish the extension. 
The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, will set out plans to turn around 11 hospital trusts, including Buckinghamshire, that were put into special measures over concerns about higher-than-average death rates. And in sport, Chelsea suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat to Swiss side FC Basel in the Champions League, while Arsenal won 2-1 in Marseille. Coming up, hydrogen cars and remote controls. Oh, but before that, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you. Well, we do have some rain on the way a little bit later on. That's going to be pushing into northern areas of the Three Counties over the next couple of hours or so, and eventually it will be just about everywhere as well, but certainly a dry start, or mostly dry anyway. Uh, The breeze is going to pick up as the rain comes through. Most of the rain is going to be on the light side, but we could see the odd heavy outbreak here and there, but most of it quite light and patchy, really. Not a mountain very much at all turning quite breezy then with that southwesterly wind and then the rain which is moving quite fast is going to clear away quite nicely into the afternoon so by the time we get to the middle of the afternoon then we're looking dry again with a bit of brightness developing top temperatures today of up to 15 perhaps even 16 degrees celsius 61 in fahrenheit sound excited but actually it's uh, it's below average for this time of year still quite cool now into this evening and overnight we've got some clear spells around the breeze will be dying down temperatures again dropping into single figures so rather chilly start to the day tomorrow but tomorrow and indeed the next few days after that are looking dry always more cloud around than sunshine unfortunately but temperatures creeping up slowly as we get towards the weekend by saturday we're looking at 20 degrees and sunday we could be up to 22 or even 23 degrees celsius really nice that's the forecast elizabeth you're a um a a character aren't you why sorry what do you what i mean is you're an individual and we we love individuals um um, yes what do you call your emotional control no i don't have a name oh what do you what do you say then if you're you're at home with your your partner or or whoever your family and the remote controls on the other side of the room what what do you say to them we say remote control or or we can say telecomando which is remote control in italian telecomando (laughs) it's not remote control in italian that's just that's just words telecomando that's a great name for it thanks elizabeth (laughs) thank you very much Telecommander. It's not remote control in Italian, is it? The Italian language. I'm not being racist, but it's very, very odd. Every weekday morning from nine, the biggest local talking points. There is only one professional force that can control chemical weapons. How can we, as a civilised country, stand by and let more poor, innocent children get killed? The JVS Show. Harry's in Bedford. Let's see what Harry wants to say. She knew what the laws were. She knew what she was doing. She got caught tossed. I disagree with the penalty. I think that for smuggling drugs, it should the JBS Show, weekdays from nine, BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking about national service. It's being proposed by uh, MP Philip Hollibone that uh, young people, 18-year-olds, will compulsorily be uh, dragged into national service. Dragged in, that's the wrong phrase, isn't it? But they'll be made to do it. Not necessarily militarily. Uh, It could be helping African orphans in Africa. Could be helping out in hospitals. Could be all kinds of things. What do you think? Is that a good idea? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Matt's in Luton. Matt. Hello. Matt, what do you think? Is it a good idea? Of course. Of course it's a great idea. You say of course. Why? Well, it'll put respect back into the youngsters today. They've got no respect for anything or anybody. Uh, and he, I know you're going to disagree, because you always disagree, just to wind me up. No, I don't. 
<laughs> there you go again. <laughs> but it, it, it gives them a, a really great, it's, it's a marvellous idea. And why they stopped it, I will never understand. You say it gives them respect, but I, I genuinely think that the majority of 18-year-olds do have respect. They do have respect for their elders. They do have respect for authority and for the police. And that it is in a min- it's a minority of 18-year-olds that don't. So should they all be punished because of that minority? Yeah, but your minority and my minority are completely different things. You seem to walk around with one eye shut and the other eye open. Oh. You don't see what we normally see out on the, the real world. Well, what do you see in the real world with, in regards to 18-year-olds, well, Matt? I'll give you an instance. Last night we went for a drink. We and my mate went for a drink. And there was people on, in the restaurant bar. And the noise was so bad with the, the shout with no respect for anybody else. So we had to move to the other end of the bar because of the noise. Did you go over and have a word with them? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I usually do, but I thought, no, I ain't doing it. I can't. Why? I just can't be bothered. Maybe they didn't realise they were being so noisy. And, and if you just said, sorry. Sorry, Ian. Coasted it. Well, but if you just said, look, sorry, lads, you, you're kind of ruining things over here. You never know. They might have said, oh, I do apologise, sir. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn the volume down a bit. Yeah, but we might have started trouble because the, the old, old story is we have lost all respect for elderly and other people. I like to look for the... If they have national service. Matt, I like to look for the best in people, and I genuinely believe that the majority of our 18-year-olds in, in the, the three counties and in this country are hard-working people who want to better themselves and better their society. I believe that. So do I, Ian. And I want to believe it even more. If people are forced to give up a year of their life, isn't that going to build resentments and, 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 and possibly encourage them to lose respect because they're having a year of their life stolen? No, they won't. It'll give them respect for what they've got to look forward to. Freedom. Freedom. So bag them up for a year. Give them... something back, Ian. Give something back. Did you do national service, Matt? No, ah. I would have done, but it stopped when ah. I come to this country. You could have... Uh, did, so you, did you go and give up a year of your, your life volunteering when, after it stopped? my life every year, Ian. I've had more respect for this country than anything No, but did you, did you... You say national service stopped before you were, were asked to do it. I'm assuming then you then therefore went to the army or went to a local hospital or, or, or went somewhere and said, what can I do for the next year? No. You didn't? No. Ah. I became a butcher. I was disciplined then, probably. What, but apart from meat, what does butchery give to society? Respect for others, because you've got customers. Because you've got big knives. And people like yourself. Well, Matt, I'm glad you respect me. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Ta-ta. Matt in Luton. 08459 455 555. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't do national service, but thinks it's a great idea. Didn't go and volunteer for a year. He became a butcher. I do like talking to Matt. Thank you for that. Now, is it too expensive to go green? One of our MEPs has been test-driving a car powered by hydrogen fuel. The Conservative Vicky Ford is smitten by the idea and is now calling for more EU funding into scientific research. Well, cars made by Toyota, Toyota, uh, hydrogen cars, will be on the market by 2015. Fancy one? Between 30 and £60,000! Oh! Well, Adam Raynor is a Hertfordshire-based motoring journalist and studied environmental engineering at the university. He's excited by the idea of the hydrogen, uh, hydrogen cell. How excited are you by it, Adam? Oh, well, it is, uh, that was environmental science. It's, uh, it is the future, and, and it is um, absolutely inescapable. Um, making electricity takes quite a lot of effort, um, and you also have to actually make it from something. Now, hydrogen is 73% of our entire universe. 
there's lots of it. Getting hold of it and putting it through a car and making it actually work um, is still pretty emergent. And whilst that particular brand of motor car have managed to get us all over the wireless, um, it was actually um, Hyundai and their iX35 what done this first. Yes. Um, and uh, in, in Scandinavia, they were showing it off to Barack Obama. Um, fact is, though, is that uh, we, we have actually got a grip that, that this is necessary and in, and in the most wonderfully British fashion. Um, just like on uh, on the Beeb last night on the telly, um, we really do have a wicked grip on, on having more science and scientists and, and being better at it for the amount of us there are, um, way above our weight um, internationally. And, and there is a, uh, a new establishment been set up to, to research sort of future engines. Um, and this is terribly, terribly exciting. This really is, is the future. And hydrogen is... Uh, that's pretty volatile stuff. So we'll make cars that will go like stench on hydrogen. So we're not leading the way, but we're certainly kind of batting above our weight a little bit. Oh, major league. I mean, just as a sort of British science thing, but uh, uh, the, the main issue is that, that this is relatively difficult stuff to handle because, you know, it is actually just a gas and getting it liquefied is going to be even more impressive. Um, you know, see next year's model. One day they will be able to stash some liquid hydrogen bottles in the back of a vehicle and have it go the most astonishing distance. Can I ask a silly question? If a, if a hydrogen car has a, a, a car crash, would it blow up? Um, well, this is the uh, this is all part of the huge the huge issue. I mean, it's it's uh, similar questions to do with petrol. Right now, um, hydrogen itself, uh, well, it's it's not helium, which is uh, rather more uh, explosive, but um, it's it is you know anything that's volatile enough to go off boom and set an engine uh, reciprocating. Of course, there's potential risks but the uh talking about the sort of technology and engineering when it's thus emergent would be is a little bit sort of almost irrelevant it's sort of yes and your point is you know you don't put your finger in a candle flame either um you know people are going to they're going to have to engineer these things such that they work or they're not going to be sellable 30 to sixty thousand pounds at the moment adam and i would suspect it's going to be a long time before those prices come down to the point where you and i could afford one oh yes but then that was the same thing with uh, those lovely plasma televisions um, and that is always uh, a group of people in any technology, because the technology is my main thing, um, especially the automotive electronics technology too. In any flavor, there's, there's what you call the early adopter. And historically, the Americans, and in particular the Californians, have done this forever. Do you remember the Dustin Hoffman movie, uh, Tom Cruise, Rain Man, all those years yes, ago? Yes, yes. Started off with Dodo Coelho singing and uh, some really sexy-looking Ferraris being shipped off a, off a boat. It was all... Um, and the big deal with our, our baddie character, who was so redeemed, is that his cars couldn't pass emissions in California because they care about this stuff more than anywhere. And whilst you might be a gazillionaire um, movie star, it's great to show off that you've got some environmental chops. And poor old Toyota have had their prius pilloried and taken the rip out of for uh, Hollywood A-listers owning monstrous cars and you're driving the Prius to work, you know. Adam, um, I've got to say, I, we, we've spoken a few times, I've, you are genuinely excited about this. I've never heard you so buoyant on a subject. No, no I love it. It's, uh, the fact is, is that digging up a fossil to run our entire society seems strange and silly to me since I was nine years old. I'm 50 now. I, I was kind of wondering whether we're going to get to the point in my own lifetime where, where the oil would run out, but we're now indulging in, in ever yet more um, desperate ways to get these, these fossils out of the ground. Um, there's other whole debates and environmental things going on um, to do with that. I don't know if you've seen the, the videos of uh, people's taps catching fire in the States. Whether that's going to happen here, we don't know. But the whole point is, is that you know, fossils are going to run out. They can't not. 
and, and there is a lot of hydrogen. There really is a lot of it. Really Adam, is. we've got. I've got to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you there. We, we are running out of time, but it's it's nice to hear you so passionate about hydrogen cars. What do you reckon? Sixty grand for a car? Would you spend that much? Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Very slow this morning on the M25 anti-clockwise. Not a massive surprise. It's into the roadworks section from the M11 to Enfield at Junction 25. Then a queue from Chorleywood to the M40, Junction 18 to 16. Southbound M1 slow from Luton to Hemel Hempstead, Junction 10 to 7. In Mark 8, it's busy on the A5 southbound at the Luton Road. St Albans Road is still quite slow on the southbound side through Harpenden past Station Road. A1 at the Black Cat roundabout starting to get busy. Then it's a nice clear run past Sandy and Biggleswade until you get to Stevenage and the A1M slow at Junction 7. And into London, round Borehamwood, the A1 is busy again. Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. In Watford, some delays on Beach and Grove, the A411 near the Escort Road Junction. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Do me a favour. Uh, go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Have a look at the picture of a house before and after. This gentleman's been told he has to pull the house down. What do you think? Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's eight o'clock, I'm Richard Williams. The headlines, councils say Luton Man ignored planning advice, Bucks NHS trust to be placed under new management and probation service protests. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Luton businessman could be forced to tear down his dream home in Bedfordshire after failing to get the correct approval. Saeed Raza Shah received planning permission for an extension to part of his house in barton le Clay, but carried out further work to make the home bigger. Retrospective planning permission has been refused, meaning he's been served with an enforcement order telling him to demolish his home. Speaking to Ian earlier, Conservative councillor Nigel Young from Central Bedfordshire Council says Mr Shah extended way beyond what had been given permission to do. The granted planning permission increased the uh, floor space uh, by approximately 45% and the building that's been constructed has increased the floor space by 200%. So we didn't just uh, quickly refuse or uh, without guiding Mr Shah through this process. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt today. The trust was one of 11 put into special measures after being found to have higher than average mortality rates. Here's our health correspondent, Adam Brimelow. In July, the NHS Medical Director, Professor Sir Bruce Keogh, reported failings at 11 hospital trusts. They were ordered to make improvements and promised extra support. Drawing on the idea of superheads to turn around failing schools... Managers from successful hospitals will be given contracts to improve these trusts, with bonus payments if they raise their ratings and lift them out of special measures. The government says rather than paying expensive management consultants to write reports about the problems, these contracts will give NHS leaders the time and incentives to fix them. A jury has been unable to reach a verdict in the case of a University of Bedfordshire student accused of killing a teenager in a crash on the A1M. Theo Manzar was a passenger in her car when the accident happened. Lee Agnew reports. St Albans Crown Court heard that Shabazz Whitehorn was driving home to London with three others when her car left the motorway near Welling Garden City. 18-year-old Theo, a semi-professional footballer who had trials at Wickham Wanderers, was pronounced dead at the scene.
Miss Whitehorn pleaded not guilty to causing death by careless driving. The jury was discharged after they couldn't agree a verdict. Protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place this lunchtime. The National Association of Probation Officers says it will compromise public protection. Bob Turney is a former burglar and now a probation officer. He says more investment is needed in the probation service. It needs to be more funded. See, the trouble is we, we use prison far too often in this country for some, you know, some crimes. I mean, particularly, like, you, there's a lot of people in prison with mental health issues. They need to be, they need to be taken out of the system and dealt with appropriately. I mean... Yeah, you've got the prison staff. They can't take and pick and choose who's going to turn up their doorstep at night. They're not trained to deal with mental health people. So it's all that you need to look at. In sport in the Champions League, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea side suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat at home to the Swiss side FC Basel, while Arsenal won 2-1 away in Marseille. Your weather, it will be clear this morning. There should be some sunny spells, but perhaps the odd isolated shower later. There'll be a top temperature of 16 degrees Celsius. That's 61 degrees Fahrenheit. And don't forget, you can get all your latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Thank you, Richard. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday, it's the 19th of September, here until nine o'clock. Then JBS is taking over, he's back today. But before then, let me tell you what's coming up. A man from Bedfordshire has been told he has to demolish his house after planning permission for an extension was rejected. Well, it's his home... Is that fair? The pictures are up on the Facebook page. You can go and have a look at that and let me know what you think. Successful NHS hospitals in England are going to be paid to help improve those that are failing, including those run by the Buckinghamshire NHS Trust. And a Conservative MP is calling for the reintroduction of national service. Turns out lots of you are in favour of it. Good idea? Or just cheap labour? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. We've been talking about hydrogen cars after... uh, um, uh, an MEP, Vicky Ford, has been driving around in one and is calling uh, for more EU funding into scientific research. Before the news, we spoke to Adam Rayner, Hertfordshire-based motoring uh, journalist. Uh, well, Wendy is in Watford. Wendy, you want to pick up on something that uh, uh, Adam said? Well, I'm hoping, um, uh, Ian, that he just made uh, a slip of the tongue, but he made a comment about hi- a helium being more volatile than hydrogen. He did say that, didn't he? Well, helium is an inert gas. It doesn't react with anything unless huge amounts of energy are put in, which is why it's used in children's balloons, because it's safe. I'm sure that people remember the Hindenburg disaster in the late 30s in hi- uh, Germany. Remember it well, yes. When a hydrogen-powered balloon, a hyd- sorry, not powered, a hydrogen-filled balloon exploded. Yes. So I do think that hydrogen is possibly the way forward, but helium is certainly not something we could ever put in our cars and run our engines off them. It would just make the, the exhaust sound all high-pitched, wouldn't it? Like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yes. Is that what would happen? I'm wondering whether he actually meant to say methane. Right, he possibly got, got those... Possibly. We're, we're running out of helium, aren't we? 
helium has to be mined, yes. And it's not very... Um, uh, that's. I find that so mental. There, there are helium mines. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. It comes out of the rocks. So, so it's not like you walk into a cave and it, it's you, you know you have to suck the helium out. It's kind of compressed into rock, is it? I must admit that you lost me there. I, I presume that it's oh. in pockets. Oh, pockets of helium. Um, and of course, all this party fun that we're having with them. Yes. Where does the helium go when it gets out of the balloons? Out into space. Yep. So we're losing Gone. it. We're losing it. We are losing it. So we're running out of that. We're running out of oil. Um, wow. Biomass is a good idea, but that still causes some issues. Electric cars will actually produce more of a carbon footprint and are less efficient than petrol cars. Oh. Because we have to produce the electricity, and at the moment we're doing that burning coal. Wendy, can I ask you one more question before I let you go? Absolutely. What do you call your remote control? I just call it my remote. Oh, do you not have a, a name for it? Like a Remy Conch or um, a, a, a television controller? I'm a- I'm afraid not, but my car's got a name. Go on. Bessie. May I... <laughs> that's, so, that's such a girl thing to do. I, I've never met... Oh, a, no, I, no, I, no, I have to correct you, then I'll, then I'll go. Go on. My father called every single car we had Bessie. Oh, so that's why you've called yours that? Uh, my dad started it, and he was definitely not a girl. He was a man. Wendy, thank you very much for that. Well, that's the only gentleman I've heard of who's, who names cars. I, I've met many girls who've named their cars. I've never met a gentleman who does. Have you? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Thank you, Wendy. That was good. Uh, a Luton businessman could be forced to tear down his dream home in central Bedfordshire after failing to get the correct approval. Saeed Raza Shah received planning permission in 2011 for an extension to part of his house in barton le Clay, but carried out further work to make the home bigger. After submitting retrospective planning permission a few weeks ago, which has now been refused, he's been served with an enforcement order telling him to demolish the home. Well, our reporter Barry Caffrey visited him and the house. I bought the house in 2008. It was delayed. It had a flat roof, an eyesore, the windows, aluminium double glazing, not eco-friendly. The house needed to be renovated. I sought permission in 2011 and was granted permission to extend. A family of six, we've only got seven bedrooms, it was five bedrooms originally. We've utilised the space for our leisure and pleasure. Um, the council have an s- understanding that it's a new build. I've sent 41 emails to the chief planning officer expressing that it's not a new build. All existing walls, foundations, basement, first floor are all existing, but built on top with planning permission. So you're saying the council are saying this is a new build and you're saying it's not? It's not a new build. So what did you do to extend the house? What, what did you do to change it? Well, we sought planning permission, as I say, and we've extended on the right-hand side five metres. Okay. We've also, we were also given permission to build on top a pitched roof, and we've utilised the space on the roof and uh, made bedrooms. So at the moment, you've got, what, one, two, three, four, five. Are those bedrooms just kind of they on are. the tops? They are bedrooms. Then. And is, is that a problem with the council? or No, they have. if you check their refusal notice, they've refused it on the grounds that it's a new build. It's unsympathetic. I mean, I've already started a petition. I've got 3,000 names on the petition to say that it is magnificent. 
it's not out of place. The, how, the building that was here before was always different. The council themselves, when there was objections on my planning permission to say refuse with certain residents, they objected themselves and they overruled and said that all the houses on this road are different and individual. So I don't see how they are saying it's unsympathetic and, and, and it's too individual now. I haven't just crammed bedrooms in. It looks bigger than it is. It's only seven bedrooms, just enough for my family. Uh, we've got one reception hall, we've got one lounge, we've got a gym, I've got a carport and a garage, a kitchen diner. It, and I don't see what the issue is, um, why it's been classed as a new bill and why they've taken such drastic actions. Well, that's uh, Saeed Raza Shah speaking with our reporter, Barry Caffrey. Not much sympathy on Facebook. There was a little bit to start with, not a lot now. We'll, we'll get to some of those comments in a bit. I'm joined now by Justin Wickersham, who is a chartered town player with Optimist Consulting in Bedford. Uh, morning, Justin. This is a case where the owner of the house says he extended it with planning permission and insists it's not a new build. The council says it is a new build and that the, throughout the, um, the process they were saying, you can't do this, you can't do this. What can be done now? Good morning, Ian. Um, thank you for inviting me on. This is a case which I've had very little involvement in other than the last 24 hours where I've seen it on the television, as many people have, and have looked very basically into some of the details. It, it, it's, it, it's a situation that's not uncommon uh, insofar as there are um, many projects out there where um, developers have taken forward projects that perhaps haven't been in accord with um, normal planning policies and the subsequent action that's taken um, typically is that uh, a council will either invite an applicant to submit a retrospective planning application or indeed they may take enforcement action immediately. This is obviously a case where retrospective application was put in and the, the merits of the case I, I can't particularly go into other than to say that it, it, it's very evident from what I've seen that there is a change to the original building and I don't think that's particularly disputed. Well, well I guess one excuse could be that, that, that planning uh, um, regulations are a little bit murky but they're not, are they? They're quite clear-cut. You submit your plans, you either get the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Indeed, the procedures are fairly clear. Um, I, I do say fairly, there, there are many ways in which the procedures can be um, operated within. The, the, the system attempts to give everybody a fair chance in order to put forward their proposals, to have them reviewed by the local authority, and if the um, subsequent action is that it's a refusal, there is an opportunity to go to appeal and an independent body known as the planning inspectorate. And it's a fairly common procedure that where applications are refused, that many applicants choose to go down that route because that provides them an alternative view on whether their proposals are acceptable or not. But it, it, in terms of the, the murkiness of it, certainly it is a, um, a subject that can be very subjective. Most of the issues that tend to come up at planning stages tend to be matters of design and the interpretation of what is good and what is bad. It's, that's probably the, the one area where there becomes the, the divisive part of um, the business is that people have different opinions. How successful are these appeals for, for the person who's been told to demolish their house or part of their house? It, it very much depends on the nature of... Uh, the sort of appeal that you'll be talking about here is an enforcement notice will have been um, served and the the nature of an appeal against an enforcement notice is there are a number of ways and grounds upon which the enforcement notice can be um, appealed and, and, and many of those are, are legal niceties if you like that there are 
grounds that you can appeal on that suggests that the, the process that the planning authority have gone through has been incorrect. Now, they, they very rarely um, work on appeal because authorities, most of the time, and certainly that they attempt at their best to follow procedures by the book, but there are occasions when that can be successful. The area where appeals tend to be more successful is on the grounds that the um, consent should have been issued by the authority and that would be known as ground A and that would probably be the sort of basis that a, the, um, a case like this would probably fall on. Justin, thank you very much. Justin Wickersham, Chartered Town Player with Optimus Consulting uh, in Bedford. Well, JVS is talking about this after nine. He's asking, is it unfair to make Mr Shah demolish his house? Let's just pick a couple of uh, the latest Facebook comments. Errol says, no sympathy whatsoever. Why should he be different to anyone else? Rip it down. I'd help. April coughs. That is a bit more than the permitted, so as sad as it is, if permission was refused, it has to go. He knew what he was doing, and he pushed beyond the line. Uh, And Lisa says, that's taking the pee. That's three times, if not four times the size, and a total rebuild, not an extension. The The before picture has no resemblance to the after picture. Pull it down, fine him, and that serves him right for thinking he's above the planning laws. And Sue Kiff says, crikey, it's huge! But it does look quite nice. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. M25 anti-clockwise, still very busy in the roadworks from the M11 through to Enfield Junction 27 to 25, then slow again, Chorleywood to the M40 Junction 18 to 16. It's quite busy on the M1 as well, slow traffic from Luton to Hemel Hempstead Junction 10 to 7, and the A5 looking quite busy around Markyate. A120 westbound Little Haddam queuing at the Ash River Bridge, looking very slow between Bishop Stortford and the A10. Kings Langley, the A41 from the Hemel Hempstead turn toward the M25 at Junction 20. There's a fair old patch of slow-moving traffic there. Still some short delays being picked up by the sensors in Harpenden on the A1081, St Albans Road southbound. Looking at the sensors on the A1, delays at the Black Cat roundabout, then on the A1M past Stevenage, then again through Boreham Wood down toward Mill Hill Circus. And it's quite busy to and from High Wycombe and Marlow this morning along the A404. And the roadworks on the A355 in Beaconsfield causing some short delays toward the M40. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. It's 8.17. It's Thursday the 19th of September. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Central Bedfordshire Council says a Luton man ignored the advice given to him when extending his house. Saeed Raza Shah, who lives in Barton de Clare, has been told he must now demolish the extension. Managers at successful hospitals in England are to be given contracts to turn around 11 failing NHS trusts, one of which is in Buckinghamshire. And in sport, Chelsea lost 2-1 last night to FC Basel in the Champions League, while Arsenal were 2-1 away winners at Marseille. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer. On Friday afternoon, I'm heading to the brilliant Milton Keynes Museum. Across beds, hearts and bucks. I'll bring you live music. We'll join in the Wolverton Railway Works 175th anniversary celebrations. Find out all about a mini festival of speed for charity and learn how to be a mumpreneur. Nick Coffer. Live from Milton Keynes Museum, Friday from midday, here on BBC Three Counties Radio. It sounds like fun, doesn't it? I should be having a little piece of that, possibly. Right, uh, coming up after nine, it's Jonathan Vernon-Smith, JVS. Good morning. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't re- repeat that film anymore, do they? 
No, they don't. And it was it was a very big film at the time, and and it, it's kind of disappeared. It's gone. Yes, it's gone. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Well, if you had been uh, forced to do national service, JVS, would, would you would you have embraced it, or would you have been a, a little bit reluctant? Oh. I think I probably would have been reluctant. I only lasted a week at the Scouts. I didn't like that very much. <laughs> I didn't like the Scouts for many, many reasons, some of which are too murky to go into now. No. But uh, did, did you not l- like playing with your woggle? Well, n- not really. But mm. I'm sensing if I was doing national service, they'd probably bogwash me or something like that. <laughs> Well, dip your head upside down and give you a good flushing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't really want that. We do that to you here, though, don't we? So, <laughs> <laughs> My team frequently do. Yeah. <laughs> we must, I must get Tim to stop doing that. Uh, what's coming up on your show today? Well, coming up on the big phone in this morning, we're, of course, picking up on this uh, story about the Luton businessman who could be forced to tear down his dream home in barton le Clay because he didn't get the right planning permission. Saeed Raza Shah was given the go-ahead to make limited changes to his house, but the work he's done he's made the property much much bigger he submitted retrospective planning permission a few weeks ago but it's been refused and now he's been served with an enforcement order telling him to demolish his home well if you haven't seen mr shah's house and i know you've been talking about this this morning uh, log on to the bbc three counties facebook page and let me know from nine this morning what you think is it unfair to make mr shah demolish his house it looks very smart doesn't it, it it's certainly unique don't you like it? Um, uh, d- d- uh, let me just get the picture of it up again in front of me. Oh, um, I can see myself living there. I think it... No, it, it's not to my taste. No? No. Well, you'd rather live in that funny old bungalow? Well, it, well uh, if I had the choice, yes, but neither of them are particularly attractive, in, in my humble. Well, when it was, when it was a bungalow, yeah. in my opinion, it looks like a mobile home. And all he's really done is turn what looked like a boring mobile home... Into a chavy palace. ...into a luxury palatial home, probably with executive breakfast bar. It, he has got a gym, a carport and a garage. I don't know what the difference between a carport and a garage is. Well, one you shut and one you just don't. Which one don't you shut? The carport. I hope he's got one of those revolving discs so you don't have to turn your car around <laughs> manually. You just, you just press the button. He looks like he's got an east and a west wing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, th- I think it looks very smart, but... It's a little ostentatious the- for me, well, I'm afraid. OK, OK. Well, he didn't get the correct planning permission, but when someone doesn't get the correct planning permission and they create something that's actually rather impressive... Should they really be told to demolish the whole thing? From nine this morning, I want your views on this. Is it unfair to make Mr Shah demolish his home? 08459 455 555. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. Some of the best NHS trusts in England are to be partnered up with 11 failing trusts, including the one that covers Buckinghamshire, as part of a plan to turn their management around. The Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, will give more details later of how he hopes to deal with the trusts who are put into special measures over concerns about higher-than-average mortality rates. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust runs three acute hospital sites in Amersham, Stoke Mandeville and Wickham, and five community hospitals. I'm joined now by Dr Mike Smith, who is chairman of the Patients Association. Good morning, Mike. Morning. Uh, What do you think of this idea, bringing in possibly some of the best consultants and retraining them to be managers? Well, I didn't hear the retraining bit, and I heard Jeremy talking this morning, but certainly bringing in managers to failing places can be a real lift. Now... 
um, I've heard it said elsewhere that he proposes some sort of training, sending him to Harvard for a year. Well, if he were to do that with the poorest managers, letting the good ones get on with it, that might be the way round it. But, you know, if you are a good manager, and to use the old adage, they're they're born, not made, really. And I remember this from my days in the health service when we had whistleblowers about um, residential and nursing homes in the patch I was working. And together with um, the chief nursing officer, I went in unasked. And as soon as you walked through the door, within five minutes, you knew whether the the place was managed well or not. It was friendly. It was communicative. Everywhere was clean. Everywhere was happy. You went into places where the manager was known as Mrs. Smith. And, uh, you know, she says, we've got to do it this way. And and we had no doubt where the whistleblowing was coming from. Uh, Now, you know, that's one little anecdote. But suffice it to say that taking good managers and sending them out of the NHS at this time for a year in Harvard doesn't seem the best way to spend money. Just send them in the hospitals, get on with it. Too many times we produce reports 50, 60, 70 pages long. And we had the Francis report on the disaster up in Midstaffs, and that we haven't really acted upon. We've had more reports since. So to do something, i.e. put managers into places that need a bit of a shake-up, great idea. Send them away for a year first, well don't agree with that it's part of the problem with with the the bad managers that they just haven't got the right experience to to run a hospital well that's possibly so but then you may well ask why they get promoted that high Mm. uh it's it's quite a long process to get that high and one would have thought that in the selection process i mean the jobs are, are well paid they're potentially lifetime careers and uh uh, to, to, to get to, to that position, you would have thought that somebody along the way would have marked their card and said, you, this person's not going very far, whereas this one is. I mean, it's, it's, they tend to do it in the army. I don't see why they don't do it in the NHS, so that when you get the people actually up the top there, then they do bring about uh, the raising morale, get the whole place working properly, and what's more important, keep the mortality rates low. So it sounds like you, you're kind of agreeing with, with Jeremy Hunt in, in principle, but perhaps he's got some of the ideas slightly back to front. Well, that's right. I mean, what I try and do, Ian, is to tell tell you and your listener what the patients are telling us on our confidential patients association helpline or in our surveys and we haven't asked them and they haven't said anything about the academic details of managers but i feel that what they might say and that's what i'm trying to say now is that if you have a good manager and you can put him or her into a place that isn't being well managed while sending the one there away for a a, a regeneration perhaps if 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 the one you're sending away is ever going to be a good manager who knows but at least that will be doing something Um, um, and that's what everybody who phones the helpline wants to see. They want to see something better be done because we hear so many concerns about the NHS and all we get are reports about it at the moment. Mike, thank you very much. Dr Mike Smith, Chairman of the Patients Association. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. That's the phone number. If you don't want to give us a call, you can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or send me a text, 81333. Start your text, uh, 3CR. We're talking about national service as well this morning. Uh, Conservative MP Philip Hollobone wants to bring it back for 18-year-olds compulsory, not necessarily in the military, but certainly, as he sees it, contributing something to society. Well, Billy's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Billy. Oh, hi, good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Do you think it's a good idea? It's a brilliant idea, I think. Why are you taking so long? <laughs> why, why do you think it's so good? Uh, because uh, I don't think uh, young people engage with the society nowadays, actually. 
I think it's brilliant how you bring it back. They get engaged in all sort of things. Uh, with the, as I said, as Philip was saying earlier, with the many different kind of service, they will engage with society, with the older people, the services we provide as a British government or other local things. And the local people, they will get engaged with local people. I think it's absolutely brilliant idea. I don't know why it's taking so long, actually. <laughs> but but what, is it not just an excuse or a way for the government to get some cheap labour by sending them to help out the NHS and sending them to no, help out the army? No, it's not. It's just a, lots of other countries do it, and we used to do it, so I don't know why we stopped in the first place. Uh, from the last 20 years, lots of um, people have a single... Lots of people are single parents nowadays. I think it's a brilliant idea. As myself was a single parent, oh. I think it was a good idea if somebody had it. So it would, you're, you're, you're saying it would be a good idea because it would make your life as a single parent easier? No, no, no. It's not about single parent. It's about somebody guiding it. We have a country. We all should contribute toward our country. That's the big part of it. But if people are being forced to contribute, this is my problem. I'm a big one for people volunteering and helping out in the community. But if they're being forced to do it, well, they're not going to give 100%, are they? And they, they're going to resent the fact that they're being forced to help out. No, I don't think so. I think uh, they have a choice what they want to do. It's, it's, when you're 17, 18, you have plenty of choices and you make up your mind. And if, if you don't like, if you go into something and you don't like it, and you maybe look for a different career, actually. Would, would you have uh, enjoyed it, Billy, if you'd been forced to do it? I would, uh, yeah, I would have loved it if I had a chance to go abroad and I had a chance to do other things or with the um, military or air force, whatever. If I could have taken a year out of my life, I'd be brilliant. Billy, thank you very much indeed. Billy Milton Keynes is giving it the thumbs up. Well, very few people have uh, got in touch to say, well, it's a ridiculous idea. What on earth are you thinking? I, I would have thought there would have been a, a, a bigger backlash about this, but it turns out that the majority of you uh, think it's quite a good idea. There are a few comments on Facebook. I can't get there on the moment because, of course, my BBC computer is not doing as uh, I, I wish it to do. There's a surprise. Who'd have thunk it? We'll have a look at those after the, uh, the news. But before that, here's the travel with Adam Glynn. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Delays on the M25, anti-clockwise stop-start from well before the M11 now through as far as Potter's Bar into the roadworks and slow traffic from Watford to the M40, junction 19 to 16. On the A1, delays at the Black Cat roundabout, then heavy traffic once you get as far as Stevenage on the A1M at junction 7 and then into London, busy through Boreham Wood, Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus on the cameras. Little Haddam, the A120 westbound, queuing at the Ash River Bridge between Bishop Stortford and the A10. St Albans Road, this is the A1081 in Harpenden, heavy traffic at station Road. Southbound M1 looking slow from Luton to Hemel Hempstead, junction 10 to 7. The A5 in Mark Yates still looking slow southbound around Luton Road and delays both ways in Dunstable on the A5 approaching the A505 junctions. Redbourne, a bit slow on the A5183 this morning. This is between Redbourne Lane and the M1 at junction 9. The A414, busy round Hemel Hempstead approaching the M1 at junction 7 and the A41 in Kings Langley looking slow as you approach the M25 at junction 20. Trains and tubes though are running without delays. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
It's 8.30, I'm Richard Williams, the headlines. Central Bedfordshire Council say a Luton businessman ignored planning advice and extended his home by over four times the size that was agreed. Saeed Raza Shah has now been told he must demolish the extension. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust is one of 11 NHS trusts that could be placed under new management. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt today. And protests against plans to privatise large parts of the probation service are taking place across the three counties this lunchtime. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Arsenal beat Marseille 2-1 in the Champions League to earn a tenth successive away win and maintain the club's record of never losing a European match to a French side in France. The goals came in the second half from Theo Walcott and midfielder Aaron Ramsey. Alan Green has more. Though there was a long spell in the first half during which Arsenal didn't play that well, all round this was a deserved victory and shouldn't have been made nervous through conceding a stoppage time penalty to Jordan Ayew. Thankfully, there was no further time for further danger. Both Arsenal goals came in the second half, a poor header by defender Morel being suitably punished by Walcott's fierce volley. Then Ramsey, who quietly played as well as anybody else in Arsenal colours, shot home from 20 yards. And Mandanda also made several good saves. A satisfying start for Arsenal. Jose Mourinho says he accepts responsibility for Chelsea's surprise 2-1 home defeat by Basel in the Champions League. The Swiss side came from behind at Stamford Bridge to record their first ever win in England, but Mourinho still believes his side will finish top two in the group. The objective of finish uh, top two in the group phase and to go to the the next stage of the Champions League is an objective that, uh, of course, is not is not is not lost. Far from it, and is an objective that we are going to fight for. And it's an objective that uh, I, I believe very, very much that we are going to, um, to achieve. MK Don's chairman Pete Winkleman says the latest plans for more retail development next to Stadium MK won't mean a windfall for the football club. Crown Estate are funding a £25 million leisure complex at MK1. They're also buying the fitness centre there for £7 million. But the Don's chairman says although this will help the football side of the business, it won't mean big money transfers. Over the last few years during the recession, we've had to run much heavier banking um, you know, to make sure that we could keep delivering everything that we've promised at the stadium and, and cover the football club losses and, and everything else. So it's gone into reducing the debt levels of the business, which just makes us a little bit more competitive and a little bit more able to cope with the twist and turn that the football will no doubt throw us over the next 12 months. And Queen's Park Rangers are the new championship leaders after a goalless draw with Brighton at Loftus Road last night, whilst a 96th minute winner from Adam LaFondra saw Reading snatch a 1-0 win over Leeds. And in cycling, Sir Bradley Wiggins leads Tour Cycling of Britain going into the fifth stage today. The 177km ride through Wales finishes in Caerphilly. Mark Cavendish won yesterday's fourth stage in a sprint finish. There's more at nine. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Morning. In the BBC Three Counties Radio, we'll be talking about national service um, and uh, lots of other bits and pieces. We'll, we'll get to that. But, but first of all, it turns out we're all doomed. The world is going to end. This isn't a joke. This is actually going to happen. But there is a caveat. It's going to happen in three billion years' time. Researchers from the University of East Anglia say that's when life on Earth will end. Well, Andrew Rushby is from the University of East Anglia's School of Environmental Sciences. Andrew, how on earth do you work this out? 
Hi. Um, it's a good question. Uh, what we what we did actually was we made a very simplified version of the Earth because there's so many complex, um, you know, human human factors involved in it that we just had to say let's make a very simple model of the Earth. Um, and our, our main interest was looking at how the Sun becomes brighter over time. Um, so in order to do that, we 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 looked at um, astronomical databases and made computer models on how the Sun will get brighter and how that will affect temperatures on the Earth. And so b- from that, you've calculated that the, that the Earth has got three billion years. Yeah, it's, it's a huge window because there's so many, uh, it's such a complex system that there's so many other caveats that, that we could take into account. For example, we haven't, we haven't included things like anthropogenic climate change, you know, pumping mm. CO2 into the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, because we're looking at investigating a different question using a different tool, our model runs over millions of years, whereas my, my colleagues here at the University of East Anglia use um, extremely complex um, climate models to, to map um, human-induced climate change over, over scales of hundreds of years. But what we were essentially looking for is um, how this uh, may affect planets uh, around other stars in the galaxy and how they might stack up compared to the Earth in terms of how long they're habitable for. Uh, and uh, w- uh, Will humans, according to your model, be around for three billion years or are they going to go sometime before that? Well, that's difficult to say. We don't well, really map how humans might change. Um, evolutionary biologists might be a better people better people to speak to about this um, but i'm an optimist and i hope that you know given a billion years um humanity will have spread out across the galaxy in some sort of happy galactic family <laughs> uh, well, wouldn't that be nice andrew thank you very much indeed andrew rushby from the university of east anglia's school of making things up and uh, sorry of environmental studies email 3cr at bbc.co.uk bbc three counties radio well 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 well, well indeed so National service. Should every young person in Britain be forced to take a year out to do charity work or care for the elderly or serve in the armed forces? Well, that's what the Conservative MP, Philip Hollowbone, would like to see. He's put forward a private member's bill to reintroduce compulsory national service. But there's growing support uh, for the campaign against the bill. 30,000 people have signed the petition. What do you think? Is it a good idea, bad idea? Got lots of uh, Facebook comments here, but before that... We sent uh, Justin Dealey. Uh, Justin Dealey wouldn't last three minutes if he was given national service. We asked him uh, to go and uh, speak to people on the street and find out what you think. So you think we should bring it back. Can you tell us why? I was brought up with uh, certainly different values to the, uh, the way youngsters are brought up today. Um, my father did national service. Um, I think it would instil those values into the youngsters. Um, I think the discipline is not there in this day and age now. I think it would also have other benefits. It would in many cases give them a career that they could move on to in the future um, and I just think it's you know from the social point of view I think it's fantastic teamwork I just think the benefits of it are, are enormous so it certainly change this country for the better as far as you're concerned yes I think it definitely would yes yeah, without, without a doubt somebody else who thinks it's a good idea to bring back national service can you tell us why you think that's the case madam well, I just think it would take the youngsters off the streets and that they would be trained in a profession and um, get an apprenticeship and things like that. Give them a focus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody just said to me, it would bring respect back in this country. Would you go along with that? Yeah, probably would, yes. Yeah. Well, I can only find people this morning who think it's, it's a good idea. Alan, why do you think we should bring back national service? Uh, because it stops all the youngsters from gathering around and getting themselves into trouble unnecessarily. But is it really that bad now out there? Yeah, it is because teenagers have got nothing to do because of the fact that councils keep on closing down all the community centres. So you think if it was to come back, these people would be taken off the streets, it would give them a focus and, and hopefully give them a better life? Give them a lot more discipline as well. 
a lot more discipline. Explain what you mean by that, because people keep on saying to me that we haven't got respect, we haven't got discipline. What's happened recently that makes you think that? Well, you've only got to look at the way the youngsters are now. They've got no respect for anybody at all. So, yeah, I, I fully agree with youngsters haven't got any respect and putting them in the national service through the military, that would be that would help them and give them some prospects for life. I don't like this sweeping statement that all young people have no respect and are, are lazy and, are, you know, a waste of space. I, 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 I don't believe that for a second. I can't believe that for a second. Because if that's what you think, you might as well go and jump off a cliff now that we're, we're all doomed. Forget the three billion years nonsense, just go and do it now. Surely, surely, most young people are, are positive, respectful, uh, intelligent, questioning young people, aren't they? Aren't they? You're not going to read about those in the Daily Mail or the Daily Express, though, because that's not a story. 18-year-old does homework and is good. 19-year-old helps out at charity. 20-year-old has plans for the future. That's not a story. It's a story to see 18-year-old drunk in the street, 19-year-old doing some drugs, 17-year-old stab somebody. But the majority of, of, of young people aren't like that. I nearly said kids. <gasps> Barry's got very strong views on this. Ian, I, I want... Barry writes as though he's a copper or he's had military service. Barry and Hemel. Ian, home without planning and national service, refusal to obey orders and rules is relevant in both these discussions. The offender in the case of the House has clearly broken planning regulations and should be forced to make the building comply or be demolished and rebuilt. As far as national service is concerned, it should be for two years minimum to allow time to train them correctly. With regard to your comments that the youth would be reluctant to do the work, this would not be an option. They are not asked to do things, they are told. And if it's not done, they face reprisals. Having done national service, I understand this. I know how it works. 56 days in an army detention centre is as bad or worse than life in prison. Maybe an example for our prison service, Barry and Hemel. Barry's angry. Well, even if they faced, um, you know, being locked up in a a, a army prison or whatever it is, army detention centre, they they could still be reluctant. You're saying reluctance to do the work is not an option. Well, you can still be reluctant to do it. You can still drag your feet slightly or raise your eyebrows. Uh, but thank you uh, uh, for that, Barry. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We've got some uh, Facebook comments. Good idea, says Michelle. Most kids would benefit from doing some, something like this. I know mine would. Mine wouldn't because mine are being brought up in an environment where they go out and do things. They look at things. They seek things. They seek knowledge. They seek to help people. Huda says, great idea. It's important for people to develop a sense of compassion and empathy. Anne-Marie, well, the kids from poor backgrounds won't be able to do the overseas option as their families won't be able to afford passports. How much does a passport cost? Is it quite a lot? Um, Caroline, I think it's a good idea, a bit of structure. Jane, good idea. They'll come out with a skill. My neighbour's son joined the army. He was a bit of a lad. Came back a fine young man. Andrew says MP should do it first. Sue says yes, great idea. Most people giving it the thumbs up. On the subject of the world coming to an end, Ron is in Luton. Good morning, Ron. Good morning to you, young man. Um, I don't agree with the guy with the sun. Now, we all know it's getting hotter, and three billion years is a long way away. But the, the Earth rotates together with the moon. Correct. And we know the moon is moving away extremely fast. Sorry? Now, the moon is moving away... Where? ...about 10% away from the Earth. What, every year? Every, no, every year it moves about three millimetres. Oh. 
Consequently, oh. if the moon moves away, so the Earth will go into a, a, a little bit of a wobble. Consequently, uh, the moon and the Earth are engaged together. The guy who came on regarding the sun, yes. had he brought in the question of the moon in relationship to the Earth, because, you see, the Earth has to balance with something. So the moon is the correct weight to hold the Earth in orbit. Um, so it would have been interesting had he have brought in the moon as well. He didn't bring in the moon, did he, Ron? No, he didn't, and he should have done. Very he... naughty man. Very naughty man. Now, three millimetres a year, how do we know this, Ron? Oh, no, the experts tell us that the moon is moving away at... T- if the moon moves away by 10%, Yes. Then the world will go into a wobble, and that's the end of it. But 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 how many? What, they but, do not. No. I would have thought the moon and the Earth m- moving in tandem um, wouldn't have been affected by the yeah. by the moon. But the Earth needs something to balance. How many millimeters makes ten percent? I have no idea. Oh, Ron. So hang on a minute. It, it might just be. Eight, ah. It might be nine millimetres. The interesting part is the 10%. Yes, but we don't know what that means. It's, it's useless without the information as to how many percent per year it's moving. Yes, but they did, we weren't able to find that out. Consequently, this guy who knows all about the Earth mm. and the sun and the moon, everything, he didn't mention the moon. So would you get him back, please? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think right. so. Ron, there, there, there's going to be, I believe, I'm not sure if this is... Well, no, I've heard this is true. There's going to be a television game show where you can win a trip to Mars. It's a one-way trip to Mars. Mm-hmm. I think it takes about four years to get there. It's mm-hmm. a one-way trip to Mars. There's no coming back. You're going to die in space. Would you enter something like that, Ron? Well, if you had appendicitis when you'd just taken off. What? Sorry? What if you had an appendicitis well, if you'd just taken off? You'd have to do what um, was I saw in a television drama once. You'd have to take your own appendix out. Yeah, but where would you put the body? Your body? Well, I'm dead. I'm on, the, I'm on this blooming thing going away. Well, no, hang on. You've gone from appendicitis to dying already. You might be able to remove the appendix. Yeah, well, just imagine that I die just as we take off. When oh. the devil are you going to put the dead body? Are you going to throw it out? No. Do you know what we do? What? I'd eat you. <laughs> Goodbye, sir. Thank you very much. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'd eat him. Sounds tasty. There is. There's, there's going to be a competition, I think, to, to win a, a one-way trip. To Mars. Uh, and... and uh, I don't think I'd bother. I don't think I'd bother, to be honest. 08459 455 555. Kelly, you wanted something for the podcast? That phone call has just made it. Thank you very much indeed. It's a quarter to nine or thereabouts. This is uh, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the latest travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. No change for the M25, still very busy this morning as you go into the roadworks section, particularly back past Junction 27 at the M11, round to Potter's Bar now, so 25 to 24 looking quite sticky. Then as you go round further, Watford Junction 19 to the M40, Junction 16. The A1, busy at the Black Cat roundabout, then slow on the A1M past Stevenage, and busy again into London from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Queues in Little Haddam at the Albury Turn, round the Ash River Bridge. A414, well it's heavy in Hemel Hempstead between the M1 and Leverstock Greenway. It's also quite slow at the Park Street roundabout. A5 southbound in Markyate delays past the Luton Road junction. And it's quite busy on the A5 in Dunstable, both ways around the A505 junction. Q. 
queues in Redbourne on the A5183, coming up to the M1 at Junction 9. M1 looking a bit better than it was as you make your way past Junction 9 there. Kings Langley, though, the A41 eastbound slow approaching the M25. And in Watford, some short delays on Exchange Road. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. It's 8.46, it's Thursday, the uh, 19th of September. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Central Bedfordshire Council says a a Luton man ignored planning advice and extended his home by over four times the size that was agreed. Saeed Raza Shah has been told he must now demolish the extension. Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust is one of 11 NHS trusts that could have a new management team after it was placed in special measures. It's part of a plan being announced by the Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt today. In sport, Jose Mourinho is still confident his Chelsea side will make the knockout stages of the Champions League, despite losing 2-1 at home to Swiss side FC Basel last night. Coming up, Justin Dealey will be outside Mr Shah's house, the home that was extended is now being told he must knock it down. Have a look at the Facebook pictures, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Before that, let's get the travel. Uh, I do apologise, the weather. Here's Elizabeth. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. We do have some outbreaks of rain on the way. They're going to be pushing into the northwest or continue to do so. Um, so turning a bit wet, most of the rain is going to be on the light and the patchy side. We could just see the odd heavy burst here and there, but for the most part, it's not going to amount to very much at all. Now, it is going to turn quite breezy, a fairly brisk southwesterly wind developing, and uh, the front moving quite quickly, actually, so it should be a much drier picture by the time we get into the middle uh, part of the afternoon drying out nicely and even brightening up too before the end of the day top temperatures today up to 15 or 16 degrees celsius 61 in fahrenheit now as we head through to tonight some clear spells a few mist patches over the chilterns always possible temperatures down to single figures once more so a chilly start to the day tomorrow tomorrow quite a lot of cloud little bit of sunshine at times and uh, temperatures up to 18 perhaps even 19 degrees celsius Climbing temperatures, in fact, as we head towards the weekend, looking dry and with a nice shot of warm air. So it does look like temperatures will get into the low 20s by the time we get to Sunday. What a treat for the weekend. That's the forecast. Some people say that we get a bit too excited about our trails. So we're going to do this one a bit different. A bit different. On Saturday, we've got four more live commentaries for you to choose from. Barnsley versus Watford, MK Dons away to Peterborough, Stevenage against Carlisle, and Luton host Lincoln. Plus reports on Wickham against York. All our local teams live in Three Counties Sport, Saturday from 2 here on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm glad they listened. I'm glad they listened. Uh, on the subject of Mr. Shah's house, lots of you having your say about this. JVS will be talking about this after nine uh, as well. The pictures are on facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Let's have a, a, a quick look. Uh, Linda says, it looks like a lovely house, but as everyone is saying, rules are rules. He should have waited. Doesn't even look like the original. Robert, I had to follow correct planning procedure for a small extension on my modest, detached house. If the owner of this place had done the same, applying correctly rather than building first, then applying, he wouldn't be in this situation now. The rules are there for everyone, not just those who follow them correctly. Very, very little sympathy. I'm trying to find... uh, Mizzy says, am I the only person who thinks this house looks like a monstrosity? Um... 
Um, Fiona says, with looks like that, it should be on Brighton Seafront. If you go along the road and see it in its surrounding, it actually looks dreadful and out of place. Um, I'm trying to find anybody that's got any sympathy. Simon says, no sympathy whatsoever. John, did the builders not check if he had planning permission before starting? Would it not be partly their fault for not checking? I don't think so. I mean, it's his fault, ultimately. Uh, No sympathy, says uh, Gerda. Um, No sympathy, says Errol. Um, I don't think there's anybody uh, that's backing it up. I don't think there's anybody that's backing it up. Uh, Justin Dealey is at the house. Good morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. I'm with uh, Saeed Raza Shah right now outside the property. Um, Ian, the only way I can really describe this, it's like um, it's like the sort of house that a footballer would own. I have to say, I can only speak for, from my experience, it's the sort of property that I would want to live in. Um, it looks absolutely fantastic. With me now is Saeed. Um, you're live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. First of all, Councillor Nigel Young says that you've ignored the council and you've pushed on regardless to have your dream home. Is he lying? That's totally absurd. Um, I've liaised with the council over the last 18 months. Um, If that was the case, and if this is such a big issue, why have I been served with a notice on the 16th of August? Why not before? This has been going on for the last 18 months. I mean, these comments this morning, how angry do they make you feel? I'm more devastated than angry, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't think I've done it wrong. I've, we've got planning permission to build. Yes, we've made some minor adjustments, but overall, I've, I have planning permission. I have, increase, I have not increased in, in width or depth. I mean, a lot, a lot of our listeners this morning have seen the photographs on our Facebook page. What I'm looking at right now is unrecognisable compared to what was here before. A lot of people don't have any sympathy for you whatsoever. What would you like to say to those people this morning? Well, I would love for those people to visit me and I can show them around, show what the original house was and what it is now. You know, I, I, they say I've affected the green belt. I haven't. I've, the house was always a grand house. It was 34 metres in width. It is now 39 metres with council permission. Mm. I was given permission. It was a flat roof, dilapidated flat roof. I was given permission to build on top a pitched roof, which is what I've done. I have not exceeded no height, no width, no length. Mm. Yes, we've made it a little more grand with the balconies. But once again, we have not you know, increased the house. And the human aspect here as well, this is your dream home. You built this dream home. You're saying that that you've done nothing wrong. You haven't ignored the council. If this was to be demolished, what would that do to you and your family? I think that's devastating consequences. I mean, I've I've poured my heart and soul in this. Um, I couldn't even think about demolishing it. I mean, it would um, ruin us financially and, and, and as a family. I would... It would be devastating. And uh, Ian Saeed can hear you. You've had uh, lots of comments that have come through on the uh, Facebook page this morning, haven't you? There's been lots of comments. Uh, Saeed, can I play you one clip? We, we spoke to Conservative councillor Nigel Young uh, from Central Bedfordshire Council. He says that, that you extended way beyond what he'd given uh, permission to do. Have a, have a listen to this, Saeed. The granted planning permission increased the uh, floor space uh, by approximately 45%. And the building that's been constructed has increased the floor space by 200%. So we didn't just uh, quickly refuse or uh, without guiding Mr Shah through this process. So you you were given approval for 45% increase in floor space. It's over 200%. Well, I'd love to invite Mr Nigel Young to the property so I can um, run through it with him because um, the council have have got the wires crossed. 
they're classing it as a new build. But what about the, f- the floor space specifically? Address that issue specifically. I, you, you were given permission for 45%. It's over 200% increase. This is the first that I've been made aware of this. Uh, obviously, I'll have to speak to my um, architectural technologist. Uh, I can only comment that once I've spoken to the architect. So you, th- that's the first... No, but you, as far as... That, that this is the first that I've been notified about this issue. OK. Uh, and uh, Mr N- uh, Nigel Young also uh, uh, mentioned that throughout the process, as it was clear that your plans were different from the ones that, that had been approved, you were told that, that, that what you were building wouldn't be approved. And with all due respect, um, would it take 15 months to serve an enforcement notice if my plans deviated? But, were you, plans? To, but were you told during the build, uh, as Mr Young um, stated, that, that your plans w- were different from those that had been submitted and you I wouldn't be allowed to build this? Absolutely not. OK, so Mr, Mr Young is lying? Not. Yes. In your opinion? OK. Um, I, he's been incorrectly informed. I'm not going to say anybody's a liar. I'm, I'm going to say he's been... Um, and and this, this is the whole case... Um, They've got it wrong. They're calling it as a new build. I've had um, the council round, I've had the chief planning officer round, and I've explained to them this is not a new build. You, and they said, no, it's a new build. Um, you've demolished the building. I, no, I haven't demolished the building. But it's unrecognisable. You would be hard-pushed to say they were the same buildings. But um, surveys will prove that it's the same building, and it will never look the same from a flat roof. We've changed it into a pitch roof. Of course, it's never going to look the same. I, I'm looking at the pictures now. I can't see any of the, the previous building. Um, and I'm, I'm aware this is just photographs. You can't get everything from photographs. I can't see any of the previous building in that, in that house you have there now. Which is perfectly normal. As I say, I invite, invite you as well so I can show you around where the old building is and where the new building is. Uh, perfectly normal, but that would imply that it is a new build, then, if, no, if you can't see the existing property. No, the building is sitting on the original foundations. The first floor so the, the foundations are exactly the same. The foundations and the basement are the same. That's right. And obviously we've got permission. The, the, the top floor that we've, that we've uh, erected is not going to look, because it wasn't there. It didn't exist. It had a flat roof. At any point, that. at any point in the process, uh, Mr. Shah, are you aware? Because I've had building work done, and I know that the uh, the, the council come round every few weeks, every month or so, uh, and they look at stuff and they go, "Well, hang on a second, no, that's not what we signed off. You've got to change that." Da-da-da. At any point in, in the building process, did the council come round and say, "Mr. Shah, no"? They've come round twice, and no, they have not said no. And you, and this is this is my point. Why, after fifteen months, have I been served with an enforcement? If it was this serious, which 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 obviously that, that's what they're classing as. If they've made a decision that they're going to demolish it, if it's that serious, why was it not taken twelve months ago? And and that house that you have built there, I'm just sorry if I sound like I'm being harsh. I'm just trying to ascertain this because I know lots of people are interested in this. That house that you've got there, the designs, the architectural plans for that house were submitted at the start of this process, and they were approved absolutely okay well uh thank you very much what what's what's going to happen now what's the next step well obviously we are going to appeal we've got the right of appeal we're going to 11 neighbors have complained to the council well bearing in mind we've only got seven houses on the road i don't know where 11 have come from nonetheless if this does if you're told this does have to get pulled down are you going to do it I'd rather not comment on that. Obviously, I'm... Well, if, if you're told that legally this, this house is breaking the law and you have to pull it down, will, will you abide by the, the legal well, ruling I, that says you have to pull I, it down? I, I am a law-abiding citizen, and obviously we'll, we'll, we'll wait for the court to make the decision. And if they say it has to go down... Once again, we'll wait for the court to make the decision. But, but if they say, if they make that decision... Well, I think it's, it's pretty obvious if they make a decision where, where we stand. You'll pull it down? 
side's now uh, what, what? left the interview. What happened there? Uh, he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Why? Um, can I ask you one final question? What, why don't you want to carry on the conversation with Ian? Well, you'd said to me two minutes. I, you know I've got him getting late for a meeting. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. He's now going to go. So I did make a comment earlier on about um, um, jealousy as well, potentially, uh, which may come into this. But but you mm. certainly heard what he's got to ha- ha- have to say this morning. I'm outside the house, Ian. Um, it is a, it's a huge, huge house. It's, what, a seven-bedroom property? Certainly the sort of property that I would want to live in. And his family are out the front now. They've all come down. And if this was to be pulled down, it would certainly devastate the family. Uh, Justin, thank you very much for that. Well, JVS will be uh, talking about this uh, after nine o'clock, asking, is it fair to uh, get Mr Shah to pull his house down? He's obviously very passionate about it, as you would be. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. M25, still very slow, moving anti-clockwise. Stop-start traffic into the roadwork section, particularly past Potter's Bar at Junction 24. Also slow Watford to the M40, Junction 19 to 16. A1, busy at the Black Cat Roundabout, then heavy traffic on the A1M at Stevenage Junction 7, before delays again into London, Boreham Wood, Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Little Haddam and the A120, a queue building at the Ash River Bridge. Mark 8, the A5 looking slow southbound at Luton Road. And the A5's pretty busy in Dunstable this morning as well, around the A5. 505 junctions. Slow traffic in Aylesbury from the Oxford Road roundabout down to the A413 at the Walton Street roundabout. It's also busy on the A41 approaching Kings Langley coming down from Hemel Hempstead toward the M25. The A414 in Hemel Hempstead slow from the Leverstock Greenway across to the M1 and in Watford delays on Exchange Road around Beach and Grove. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. That's it, that's your lot. Don't forget, you can download the uh, weekly podcast. JVS is up next. Until tomorrow, ta-ta. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS show.